it's Nora. I have some very exciting news. Dopey just Dopey Podcast just reached five million downloads. Woo! Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodle for Chris. Sayonara. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu and Silver Lake. Aloe was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a treatment center that treated addicts with connection and compassion rather than control. They have decades and decades of experience treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI, and they know what it takes to get an addict well. They make sure that the detox is as comfortable as possible, which we all know is key, and they make sure that uh, that the addict is in a place where they feel safe, and I know that's to be true, and I know I have friends who went to Aloe, and they all felt like everyone in the community was rooting for them, and you cannot put a price tag on that. They have amenities like sound bath meditation and sweat lodge and surfing and equine therapy, but it's the love that Aloe gives. It's the heart that Aloe has that makes Aloe the place to go. And if you're fucked up and you don't know where to go to get well and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I strongly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Tiny Footprint Coffee. Tiny Footprint Coffee is the carbon-negative, earth-positive coffee that makes eco-minded, coffee-loving simple. When you drink coffee, they plant trees. It takes four pounds of carbon to make a pound of coffee. So they plant 54 pounds worth of carbon-sucking trees, which means 50 pounds of good karma in every pound. Partnered with the Mindo Cloud Forest Foundation in Ecuador, their reforestation efforts along the northwestern Andes help plant native tree species, provide habitat to hundreds of local bird species, reinforce soil conservation techniques, rebuild water tables, and sequester massive amounts of carbon from the air. Plus, this coffee is legitimately delicious. It really is. Craft roasted and as nuanced a cup as you'll ever taste. Go to tinyfootprintcoffee.com and use dopey code DOPEY10 at the checkout to get 10% off your purchase. And the more you buy, the more you save, the bigger your environmental impact. The code even applies to five-pound bags, bulk purchases, and subscriptions, which are awesome gifts for the eco-minded coffee lover in your life. Hit up Tiny Footprint Coffee and take sustainability to the next level, one tasty sip at a time. The coffee is delicious. It's about to be Christmas. Give the gift of Tiny Footprint and save 10% with the code DOPEY10. Support Dopey sponsors, support eco-friended coffee, and check out Tiny Footprint.
Attention cigarette smokers. There's a less harmful alternative available to you. According to two studies published by Public Health England and the U.S. National Academies of Sciences and Engineering, they found that vaping poses a small fraction of the risks of smoking, and switching to vapes may have substantial benefits over cigarettes. This is why so many cigarette smokers have made the switch to vaping, and their brand of choice is Twist E-Liquids. Twist is an amazing American-owned company that makes its delicious e-liquids in Los Angeles, California. Twist has won several awards for creating mouth-watering flavors such as its best-selling lemonade, sweet treats, and dessert flavors. But Twist also produces a line of sweet tobacco flavors. Try Twist e-liquids today and get 30% off your first purchase with code DOPEY30. That's 30% off. That's a lot of percent off. D-O-P-E-Y 30. Sold exclusively at daddysvapor.com. That's DOPEY30 on daddysvapor.com. Again, this could be an amazing Christmas gift for the vaping person in your world, in your life. 30% is nothing to sneeze at. It's daddysvapor.com. Support dopey sponsors at twist at daddysvapor.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Sober Grid. Sober Grid is a free iOS and Android app that connects you with other sober people. You can find, connect, and share with other people in addiction and recovery. You are instantly connected to a global sober community in your neighborhood and around the world. You can build a strong, sober network and inspire others. SoberGrid now offers affordable 24-7 certified peer coaches to assist individuals in the recovery Their peer coaches are trained and certified to help you get sober and stay sober. It is a geo-social network. What does that mean? It means that sober grid users can find each other nearby on the grid, which is a GPS locator user interface that displays user profile and distances from them. Users can also choose to remain anonymous and unfindable. Sober Grid has a sober news feed, just like other popular social networks, but their news feed is all about sobriety, recovery, and addiction. It is Sober Grid. It is a free resource to find like-minded people all over the world. Go to SoberGrid.com and check out how fun and useful it can be. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you through the Dopey Patreon page. I cannot say how, how grateful I am to all the Patreon supporters. And because there are Patreon supporters, there's actually Patreon content. We had a new bonus episode this month. We have the Zoom coming up. Fucking DopeyCon 2 lives on Patreon. Go to DopeyPatreon.com. There's some free stuff there too. But if you support the show, it will help make the show bigger, more dense, with more stuff. So support Dopey Patreon at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Get me out of this fucking deli. Please help me. Also, if you want to support the show, go to dopeypodcast.com. Check out our amazing merch. There's new stuff coming out all the time from our incredibly great uh, partners at SRO Prints. Hoodies and long sleeves and t-shirts and mugs. All at dopeypodcast.com. Plus, if you want the old school dopey snapbacks or the elusive Oyve snapbacks or any of the original dopey stickers, you just Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. All right, that's enough of the ads. It's time for the show. Here's the fucking show. (laughs) 
and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and I'm Zooming and on the phone with my good friend, Ray Brown in Manhattan. How are you doing, Ray? Hey, Dave. I can see you on the Zoom. I'm doing good. What do you think? I think it's good. You think the Zoom thing is going to work out? Well, we just tried to do something really complicated, and I said I'd rather just talk on the phone and look at you at the same time. Ray, Ray wimped out on my big technological plan, but it's COVID again, and Ray is wimping out on scared to brave the train, scared to get COVID for the sake of dopey, right? Yeah, if there's a vaccine, I don't want to die like just before I get the vaccine. Well, the glory, the glory of of riding into the, the death to do the dopey. Go out for dopey. Exactly. Um, so that, yeah, I want the dopey nation to mourn me. Mourn Ray. Mourn him. Um, everybody will mourn you. Uh, but big news is we've hit 5 million downloads. And um, Congratulations. Did you know, or was I the first person that told you? I... Just saw it on Facebook like 10 seconds before you called. Big things, as they say in Jamaica, big things aguan. That's what they say in Jamaica. <laughs> and, and like to say that I'm proud is an understatement. I'm super, I mean, it was coming, you know what I mean? It was coming down the road. I like that it really showed how out of touch my father has become with reality because he thought it was going to be another month, you know? Yeah. Um, when when did you get to one million? We got a million, I don't know, sometime during the year that Chris died, we got a million. And that's the irony is that the Dopey Nation does mourn Chris, right? That's the irony of the joke that we just said. The Dopey Nation mourns everybody because everybody's fucking dying. But it's still like the glory of hitting five million downloads is a testament to Chris and to everybody else. And... um it's like little by little we go places. You know how they say it in Spanish, uh, Ray? Poco a poco se va lejos. That means, uh, no, that means little you, by you little know. we go far. <laughs> you made me resent your Spanish speaking abilities. <laughs> That's Ray is still working on his fourth step, and he's added me again to his fourth step and i'm starting to figure out the method to your sponsor's madness the fact that your sponsor had you add me to your fourth step because i can speak a little un poquito espanol yeah it was his idea not mine because i think you're not learning as you do the fourth step that the resent you should learn to I don't know, to not resent me is the point. To not re- shouldn't resent me because I can speak well, a little Spanish. Because well, Dave called and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just finished my Spanish lesson for the day. And he's like, I didn't know you're, you're doing Spanish lessons. I'm like, yes, I am. And then Dave goes, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> it was like when I was in Venezuela in 2001 <laughs> and I had sex with 2,000 young <laughs> Spaniards. To, to, no, to, to, I was telling you about being in Guatemala taking Spanish lessons from like nine to five every day for six weeks. So where, so where are we at with the with the journey of the fourth step? Um, we've we've left resentments, and so now we're practicing writing fear, and uh, and also Dave speaking Spanish. <laughs> so the fear, what is the fear in the resentment of me speaking Spanish? No, those are unrelated. They're, they're, um, I can't, he wanted me to write out fears and, and, and also 
right out Dave. And there was like that some another person in the Dopey Nation did that too. I'm like, yeah, I'm taking Spanish classes. And he went, blah, 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 blah. so that happened twice in one day. So who's that? This guy Ben in Wisconsin. Is he gonna be on the list too? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Do you resent all Spanish bilingual people in America? Yeah. <laughs> I think I, the fear not, is no. I don't have you know. No, I don't know. But I think I think the yes. fear is that you're not smart enough to speak Spanish. Yeah, or that, I feel like well, also that I bought this program at the beginning of the pandemic, and I haven't. I'm like I'm going to learn Spanish while we're on lockdown, and I never looked at it until recently. So the fear is you were too lazy to open. That's the resentment against myself as I'm lazy. Well, I, res- I resent that too. Today I'm like doing six jobs at once and I'm like, hey, Ray, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm watching YouTube of these guys who fly with fans on their backs and it's amazing. <laughs> and it's like, I think I should put you on my resentment that you get to do so little while I'm killing myself all the time. I always feel bad about that. Well, eventually, listen, you've, you've toiled away for much of your life. I mean, yes, you married into some wealthy situation and yeah, you lived. I, yeah, I was working. I was working while you were a junkie in L.A. and your girlfriend was supporting you. Right. You were, you were painting walls and 69ing with hardworking painters <laughs> and, and doing whatever yeah, you had to do. I've done construction work my whole life. I know until now, so you can enjoy you can enjoy the lay of the land. I think it's I, listen, and I, I'm making a joke because you. I mean, maybe I, res, I I don't actively resent the fact that you sit around and watch YouTube all day. I, I maybe it's a it's a it's I'm more jealous of the fact that I can't do less, but I don't resent you for it, and I don't think you actually resent me for having a terrible tiny little bit of Spanish. No, no. It was weird that he asked me to put that on there. And, you know, I have not watched YouTube videos until the pandemic. This is all new. Well, now it's, it's, lo- it's long enough into the pandemic that you can't call it new anymore. You, you've watched like 12 hours of YouTube a day for like 10 months. It cannot be <laughs> called new anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just want to switch things up. I don't think we talked about it on the show that uh, about two weeks ago we lost Colleen MC uh, in the Dopey Nation. Yeah, that was, I, that was. It reminded me of when Chris died that I didn't believe it, and I was like, that when Dave texted me, and I'm like, that's a fucked up thing to text because it's not true. And then I kind of knew it was true at the same time, but it was like, it's the last person in the Dopey Nation you would have guessed would have died. Well, I think it just shows, um, I mean, what it really shows is how fragile life is, that life can always end, that life is, 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 it's crazy fragile. And our community, you know, I don't know what happened with Colleen, but it's obvious that our community is very much at risk. So I just, what are you going to say? Um, I was going to say that, like, when I first uh, joined Dopey Nation and I didn't know anybody and I wasn't really participating... Colleen was, I think, the first person that reached out to me and wrote to me, and then we had, like, a a conversation online, or we had a a relationship online, and she sent me a really great book, like an AA book that she said that had been very helpful to her, her. and, like, I didn't know her at all, and all that happened. That was 
like in whenever I first joined Dopey Nation. Right. And Colleen had been around for a long time, not since the beginning, but for a long time. And she was always incredibly enthusiastic and she was always incredibly generous. And she was always like just wanted to help out. You know, I think she brought in clean and sober love. I think clean and sober love was her idea. She reached out to them and she connected me with the owner of clean and sober love. She, uh, she connected us with, uh, this bottle, this canned water company called Liquid Death. She always like wanted Dopey to be bigger. She she connected me with a bunch of people, and she was always like just super kind, and was you know obviously a great fan of the show, and just an amazing member of the Dopey Nation. In that she brought the Dopey Nation together. She like had relationships with so many people in the Dopey Nation. You know, and she was a magnet for goodwill and she was a magnet for the community, which was really good for the community. And and ultimately it was great for the show, you know, and um, she had two kids, which is the worst part. It's horrible. Yeah, terrible. Uh, One of her friends was um, his friends with Nora on Facebook on like kids messenger on Facebook. Wait, Nora's on Facebook? She's on Kids Messenger. She's not on real oh. Facebook, but it's a way that kids can talk through the Facebook app or whatever. Um, oh, it's, wow. Yeah, like she can talk to my dad that way, and she could talk to some of her friends that way. And, you know, it's like a bunch of, like, filters and shit for little kids. But oh. I got a voicemail from uh, Perennial Dope Annie Ellie, one of my favorites. And also Colleen MC like was one of the founding uh, people of the Dopey Zoom. She was part of the the Illuminati of the Dopey Zoom, which, yeah. which held that shit together. And uh, I got a voicemail from another hardcore Dopey Nation person and also just a huge uh, Dopey Nation community person, Dopey Zoom person. It's Annie Ellie from England, and she wanted to send in a voicemail about uh, her relationship with Colleen MC. So here we go. Hi Dave, hi Dopey Nation, this is Annie Ellie and I wanted to send in a tribute to my dear friend Colleen MC who sadly passed away this week and I thought a fitting tribute would be to to tell you about the name of our meeting, mine and Liz's meeting, the birds meeting. So when I set the meeting up I called it Dopey in the daytime and it was set up for people that couldn't necessarily get to the evening meetings which are pretty late in the UK and as it was myself and Liz uh kind of I don't even know how to say it in in the UK women are referred to as birds and Colleen was just like it's the dopey birds so the meeting name has stuck and that has become the name for me and Liz and for that I am so grateful. I love you, Colleen. I miss you, Colleen. Wherever you are, stay strong and fucking toodles for Chris. Take care, everyone. So that was the great Annie Ellie, and thank you, Annie Ellie, for uh, for sending in your own love for Colleen. And Ray, what were you about to say? That was that was very nice, Annie. I was going to say, and we can never forget uh, Colleen dressing as Takashi Six Nine. We're like putting all those tattoos all over her face and some kind of grill inside of her mouth for Dopey Zoom Halloween. That was like she she won that show that night. You were quite the Dopey Zoom member in the beginning, so I bet you had you had a real 
um, connection with Colleen. And I know, I know it was Colleen who had, she got pissed at me when I did the dopey speaker thing. And she got all upset when I did the dopey speaker thing. And then she, and then I was like, that's how the, the Patreon zoom started was because Colleen got pissed at me. And then Colleen was like, you should have Ray be on the, the, Patreon Zoom and I was like, oh yeah, you know. So Colleen MC has always been, uh, and then she and then she was on it. She was on Patreon, and she yeah. was on she was on a couple. Uh, she was great on Patreon. She, Her you know, Patreon story was, you know, everybody's story is like you never expected, but it had so, such weird twists and turns that you would not expect. Yeah, I just replayed it uh, two weeks ago on Patreon. If anybody yeah, wants to, I hear. just re-listened. Yeah, and she had a great spirit, and she was, you know, it's, you know, Annie asked me if, uh, you know, it's such a flippant kind of question, if all the death wears on me, because it's a lot of fucking death. It's yeah, a, it's, it's a lot. It's a it's More than a normal person has in their life. I think that's the nature of doing a podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, that uh, if you have an audience that a good chunk of your audience unfortunately is going to die it's like if you work in treatment uh and that's a fucked up thing to say but if you work in treatment you get comfortable you don't necessarily get comfortable but you get calloused i guess to death colleen i i love colleen mc and i loved that kid liam and and i loved you know half of these people that have died i've loved and 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 i i mean it is heavy on me but i'm just trying to uh keep going you know, it's like what well, it reminds me from from myself. It reminds me of the '80s when everybody I knew died of AIDS. Like, like some person would die every week or two. Right, right. It reminds me of like, you know, and, and I think other people kind of realized this before I did when they talk about the war on the war on drugs, the drug war, all that shit. And it was about the government going after dealers. But after people started dying in our community, I realized that the drug war was us, that we were dying. It wasn't about like dealers and the government and all that shit. It was about us, you know? Yeah. And um, which is why it's so great when somebody like picks up recovery and runs with it. Why people in the, when, you know, I never wanted Dopey to be Mr. Recovery Show. Like that wasn't my plan. But it kind of had to become that. It, it, we have to be vigilant. You know, like you, I mean, people, so many people have written me about how excited they are to hear you get more sober, you know, and me get more sober. But like a year ago, you were fucking like smoking crack and, and near death and miserable. And you were like, I need to make a change because I don't want to be so miserable. And you're much less miserable now. And it's amazing. Yeah. And I, I've, I, you know, I wondered like, why did I have to go through that? Or like, what was the point of that? And then it's like, well, I never would have wound up with this sponsor doing what I'm doing now if I had not, you know, gone off the deep end, you know, and, 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 you know, somebody was making a joke about, or that was Jed Shredwards was making a joke about me eating pubic hair. It was very funny. I didn't catch that on Dopecon too. And it's funny when Jed. It's funny when Jed Shredwards make it makes a joke, right? When cute Jed Shredwards makes a joke. Oh, he's so funny, and and I make a joke. I'm demonizing you and this and that. But anyway, keep going. Please. No, but but just like it's just like, like it's I'm just still like feeling all that to dude, a lesser degree. But I'm just not talking about it because I've worn out. Like nobody wants to hear me talking about it. But it's not like that. Those feelings went away. 
But if I had not gone off the deep end, I would not have met this sponsor. I wouldn't be doing these steps. I would have just like lingered in like whatever situation I was in, which was not sobriety. Right. And, and, and I think that's something that, you know, it reminds me of kind of like when someone isn't really doing the work and they kind of drift in and out of claiming uh, kind of an understood recovery when they're not doing the work, which is what you were doing for a long time. You were kind of like saying you were doing it, but then you were relapsing and then you'd admit it to me. And it's like to be accountable and to be actually doing the work, it's like obvious. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was I was going to meetings. This is like in February, I was going to meetings because that, that was what my sponsor at the time suggested. And he was going there with me. And but we it wasn't what I'm doing now. And the other thing, uh, and I put this on my resentment list, was during that short period but while I was going to meetings in person before COVID, I was raising my hand at the suggestion of my sponsor and going, my name is Ray. I'm an alcoholic. I have three days, whatever. And guys would come over and give me their phone number and i would be like cool i have like a aa friend somebody wants to help because i really needed help and every single one of those guys i would call we would talk and say i'll see you at the meeting and then they'd always go you should check out my meeting it's at park avenue and 79th street and i'm like fuck you you fucking atlantic group creepo culty they Wait, send their guys out. No, like, but that's not that. That's not your no way. Those Atlant that Atlantic group shit is like it's weird, and you need to get a jacket and tie. And I bet you there'd be a lot of like attractive young men in the Atlantic. I've group. been to Atlanta. Me, me, and my sponsor went up there just to check it out as a tourist. It's so creepy, and it's just creepy that they they saw me as like prey, like I'm a wounded antelope and they're like we can get him no you're, you're like you're the mo- you're the perfect like cult uh recruity you know what i mean it's like he's 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 wounded he's he's smoking crack he's lovesick he's in, he's sober curious he's perfect but i mean chris yeah. chris always talked about good things about the atlantic group and and i've had I've, I've, I've known a lot of people in meetings yes i've heard I, I've strayed away from the Atlantic group. They don't want me there. Like no one's ever tried to No, well, what you can't talk about drugs. They asked my sponsor to speak and he's like, no, thank you. See, that's interesting to me. Um, what I think is interesting to me, and this is kind of a conversation that I wanted to have. It's, and, and, but they're also like your higher power is not, you can't make it the rooms. You can't make it this. Your higher power is, Christian God. Are you sure? Jesus Christ. Are you positive? Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Dopey Nation, if any of you guys are in the AG or PG, which is the Pacific group, let us know if Ray's incredible uh, bashing of you guys is true. And I would watch your step, Ray. Those guys are everywhere. They're probably on four. I know. I'm they're, afraid to say this yeah, publicly. They're probably circling. Or, whack me. Yeah. They're probably circling around 14th Street right now. It's um, a cult. <laughs> but um, the thing that interests me, it's just interesting me more and more. Like, am I meeting, like, I mean, I go to this fucko meeting in Long Island, you know, with a bunch of Republican alcoholics for the most part, but I talk about drugs every day that I'm there and nobody says anything. Nobody questions it. I went on a a Zoom meeting in L.A. and I talked about drugs and somebody commented about it. And what it makes me think about 
is, and it's not necessarily the alt recovery movement, but maybe it is. Somebody actually messaged me on Instagram to me today and they said, how can you call yourself an alcoholic when you didn't have a problem with alcohol? And like, to be honest, I don't get bogged down with those kinds of definitions. I got into, into my 12-step group because it helped me. You know what I mean? Like, I did it because it helped me. I decided I needed a higher power because I needed help. I decided I needed to do step work because I needed to get better. And that was like, it's like, if you want to build a table, here's fucking instructions and you do it and you get a fucking table. And that's what I needed a fucking table. I needed to get out of that thing. Yeah. And and people don't like, there's all kinds of alcohol. People don't say like, oh, you're a beer drinker. You're a wine drinker. You know, and so to me, it's all the same. The drugs and alcohol, it's all, it's, it's uh, treating, not treating. It's a symptom of the same disease. And that's alcoholism. That can be defined yeah. as, and that's what I'm saying. That could be defined as alcoholism. However, it would be nice if there was some all-inclusive fellowship that was all about the solution without these vestiges, these sort of tendrils roped into weird kind of subcategories. I think that would be nice. Yeah, I mean, if when I didn't have alcohol and some and I had uh, um, uh, a drug, that worked just as well. Right, and I didn't. I'm, I'm just saying, a fellowship that was not rooted in a substance sounds like oh, a right. nice thing to me. You know, yeah. it sounds like a, a very free place. You know, and I like yeah. that. Now, if you guys are having problems with anything and you need help, there's a place you can go. It's called BetterHelp.com. It is an amazing online service that connects people with professionals in um, mental health. Ray, you did BetterHelp.com, didn't you? I I went to BetterHelp like before Dopey was before they were advertised on Dopey, and um, I forgot how I found them, but I think they were recommended to me. And I had such a great experience. They they hooked me up with a therapist, and she was the perfect, just by chance, she, she was the perfect person for me to talk to. And I think I spoke to her for three months, and then I got this new sponsor, and he asked me to not speak to her. And that's the only reason I stopped was because I was just doing everything he said to do. Dude, you know but, you know who told you to go on better help. It's fucking me. You give me no credit. You give me no credit for anything. If Are it's you sure, I do it all. I I came up with the pubes before Jed Shredwards. I have half of the resentments before the sponsor, and I'm the one who told you about BetterHelp. How did you know about BetterHelp? Because they because BetterHelp is an amazing service that helps people get recovery. They they have over ten thousand professionals to choose from who are all licensed, trained, and highly experienced. You can connect in a safe and private online community, and they can deal with a lot of stuff from sexual addiction like Ray has to depression, you name it. BetterHelp.com can help you. And we have a discount for BetterHelp.com that even you could get in on, Ray. And that's 10% off from BetterHelp if you use the dopey code. And the dopey code is BetterHelp. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash Dopey Podcast. We all want everyone in the Dopey Nation to be as happy, joyous, and free as possible. Use BetterHelp. Get 10% off. Again, it's BetterHelp. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash Dopey Podcast. What do you think about that, Ray? That's, that was good. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a professional advertiser do I seem like to you? The 10. That's very nice of you to say. Um, 
Now, we didn't even talk about the glory that was DopeyCon. And all, I can't imagine all of the fucking uh, offers you must have gotten, considering how much everyone couldn't shut up about how beautiful you were on DopeyCon. I was like the I, monster. I got a lot of women saying, Ray is so good looking. And then even some guys going, I'm a straight man. And I think Ray's good looking. I'm like, where's the gay dude saying that? Somehow it was Beauty and the Beast, and and and, and, I, and I wound up somehow. I said it's only it's because your wife is in the room. These women are not going to go. Dave is so hot. Well, come on, throw me throw throw the throw the Beast That's a bone. Break, that would break like the sister code. The, the closest thing was I expected Dave to look much more like a warlock than he did. <laughs> um, now. Uh, on DopeyCon 2, it was everything that I could have ever hoped it to be and more. Just a joy from top to bottom, from stem to stern. Like, it was just so fucking cool. And uh, and one of the dudes who made it cool, he kind of kicked the whole thing off, was this guy, this daredevil, Collins. Oh, I watched his videos today of him jumping, like, a thousand feet in the he would die if he didn't if he didn't succeed his name is colin scummy morrison but when when i mentioned to ray that he was on ray said oh yeah i i tried to find naked pictures of him and porn ray was like i'm googling scummy naked and i couldn't find it i'm googling scummy he's googling scummy porn and there's all sorts of i'm like andy roy nude you wanted to find the the porno of toothless andy blowing scummy right that was what you were looking for well, not toothless, but yes. Um, Scummy was amazing on DopeyCon too, though. And and the reason that I thought he was so amazing was because he was all heart. You know what I mean? Like he had a vibe that was just all heart. And uh, he said he didn't want to come on Dopey and, and for a little while, but then like he changed his mind. Yeah, you know, on DopeyCon too, I didn't know who he was, and it it came so quickly, and it was like first, and then it was gone. And, I didn't know who he was, so I kind of like got to know him a bit after listening to this thing and Googling him and knowing who he is and all that stuff. Well, here he is, Colin Scummy Morrison on The Dopey Show. So I've been like, I think I've been trying to get, I always like spend months and years trying to get guests, and the latest guest debuted on DopeyCon 2. His name is Colin Scummy Morrison. He's a hardcore uh, freestyle fucking what are you dirt biking champion <laughs> freestyle even, motocross rider a freestyle motocross <laughs> rider and it's like i did all this research and i still like i don't know anything about about freestyle motocross how are you scummy welcome to the show i'm doing good man yeah thank you i've been uh, listening to you guys for a while and uh yeah pumped to be on yeah so freestyle motocross it started from just motocross racing that's like that's what it was all about. And then in like 96, that's when freestyle motocross came about. And it was like everybody rebelling against motocross. Cause at the time that's when everybody had tucked in shirts or like, you know, just thumbs up really like kind of preppy. And then freestyle was like, it came from the snowboard skating area, like just punk rock. And that's when I like, I was like 15 and I saw that new generation and I wanted to be a part of that. It was, I don't know. It was rad. What, so, what was first? It was, was kind of like the bad boys in motocross. Was kinda. riding motocross first or using first? Oh, dude, motocross was. Yeah, I grew up in a, I grew up in a, a little perfect town, dude, Moorpark, California. My dad's a Marine. 
uh, a Marine vet, a cop. My mom was like, she's had a perfect childhood, dude, like straight up. Um, parents got divorced when I was a kid, but that was still like fine. Um, and then I was kind of searching what I wanted to be soccer based, you know, just like typical kid. And then, uh, my dad took me to, um, uh, it was a truck race and halftime that a, a motocross race, like an exhibition. And I saw the, the two strokes, just the smoke, the jumping. I, it was something so powerful for me. Like I fell in love with dirt bikes after that. And ever since that day, like I lived, breathed, ate everything motocross. It was like my passion. I just stuck with it. And so. was the first time you got on the bike, was it obvious that you could do it? I mean, if I got on a motor, on a motocross bike, I would fucking die. I would like not live. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen for me. Was it like, lo- was it love at first ride? Did you know you were oh, cut yeah. out for it? A hundred percent. You know, even after that, when I saw my first race, it took me a while. Bugged my dad every day. He got me a BMX bike. I got into BMX racing, put like a can on my front tire to make it sound like a dirt bike. Like it was all about dirt bikes. I just couldn't get one. Like two, I got one, my first dirt bike at age. 12 and yeah there's like no drugs or alcohol i was like i was a good kid in school and everything it was just uh it was just everything about dirt bikes and it like brought me and my dad close we were always close but after the divorce like we would just travel every weekend going to the races you know just living just riding man just having the best i had the best childhood of my life dude it was just amazing like it's a good family sport and uh it really makes you it builds you hard, you know, with the injuries. You're, it's a one-man army out there. It's kind of like you against the world, and it's just a lot of responsibility, dude. So it, it really grew me up kind of quick, but it was like it was just such a passion, dude. I, you. I grew up in a pretty, like, like loving family also, and, like, I heard, I heard you do an interview where you were like, I never would have imagined, like, that one day I'd be like, I was a heroin addict or, or anything like that. Like, I came from a pretty, like loving wholesome family and it and it didn't seem like it was in the trajectory for me when did the 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 bad boy shit start to to get into your head and when did it turn into drugs i think i turned pro at like 16 and that's when freestyle came about and it happened so quick like instantly that's when the first freestyle contest came out and i was like one of the like 15 guys that we were it we were like we started the sport there's no such thing and i was like in because i was like doing big jumps so i was like in right when it started and we were just traveling dude like age 16 normal kids are going to high school parties i'm getting flown around the world and fucking the chicks party and everything i just got introduced to everything quick and trying to hang you know i was riding with all my heroes trying to hang with them at the parties you know it started with alcohol started smoking a lot of weed like a lot and i I don't know i can just go on and on but i mean fast forward just i did that whole career for about 20 years and it's crazy having such a clear head looking back at it like there is a time when it was all about partying it was like motley crew we were like motley crew of motocross like we feel like we just went harder and instead of playing an instrument, we were jumping 200 feet fucking loaded, you know? So it's like the consequences are so gnarly and it was just that lifestyle. And then when, when the sport got big and people realized, dude, if I start actually training and doing good, I can make some money. And all my friends, that's when the backflip came out. They started really buckling down. You know, all my buddies are millionaires, dude. They're making serious money. And for me, I was that. Wait, hold up. Because I've read a bunch of stuff about you, and I've listened to a bunch of stuff about you. How does the backflip change the the freestyle industry? 
It completely changed it. Overnight, half of the riders dropped out, and they didn't know what to do with themselves. A lot of people turned. I mean, one dude committed suicide. It was it was sad, man, because freestyle tapped out. Like, there's only so much you can do at that time on a dirt bike. And then uh, Kerry Hart did a backflip. After that, it started elevating where, like, it got to the point you had to do the backflip right. to, like, place and to do good. And it's such a big commitment on a – 250 pound motorcycle jumping 75 feet like if you come up short you over rotate i mean i have friends paralyzed dead from missing it you know and i just wasn't about it i did a couple backflips in the foam pit but it just wasn't my thing i i I never got into freestyle to like compete i did to like for the lifestyle and uh just go big be a show off you know so i started doing big jumps after that i'm like fuck it i'm not gonna do the backflip i'm just gonna start going bigger than everybody so I just started jumping over trains, started to get like just going as fast as my bike would go, jumping like over 200 feet, like just jumps nobody would do, but that really didn't pay the bills. It just, you know, got my name big, but backflips, you had to do the backflip to be irrelevant. And uh, a lot of guys, and it was a career ender for so many guys. It was crazy. Right. If you couldn't like get to that next place, you were done. And, and every, and I guess like the lifestyle or the image, right. Of being this crazy dude, kind of like goes after the races goes after the performance and everybody's getting high how dangerous is it, is it to be getting fucked up and be like doing this incredibly dangerous sport at the same well, time I, it's not like we're i was pretty calculated you're not getting fucked up riding dirt bike there's no way you can do it you know like there's times four foot bong ribs i was like a stoner like cop mouth king her my best friends we would like smoke weed of course and but there's times you know just not sleeping all night going for it and that only a couple of a couple of the gnarly dudes would do that and i think i was one of them but it wasn't like what you think like i'm gonna get peace you couldn't actually pull that you would die for sure but i mean staying up all night hung over fucking it's just it's scary dude there's times i don't know how i survived and it's so scary looking back at it dude it's crazy but totally. yeah and it just got bad dude then uh you know like 2009 I was uh, still doing good, and that's when the oxycotton phase came out, and I broke so many bones. I got my spleen taken out, broken so many bones. So I was like, that's a big thing with motocross. A lot of dudes get addicted to opiates, which is, you know, injuries are the name of the game, but uh, that's when the oxy really came strong. And I remember my buddy told me about Roxy 30s, and I fell in love with those things, dude. Like, it got so bad. It, like, it, it, that's when that point in my life, it wasn't about dirt bikes anymore. And it's really sad looking at that. Like my number one passion as a kid, all I wanted to do was become a pro dirt bike rider. And I made it, I had the career and it didn't even matter to me. It was about, it was, it turned into a full time job. Like how am I going to get the next sack of pills to get me through the day? Whatever, you know, and it, that lasted for years. And I never even know, I didn't know what dope stick was because I had so many fans. I had so many people giving me drugs. I never had to go buy it. You know, everything and people would like be pumped just to party with me. So they would like just bring over. So it was like, it was crazy. You know, um, you didn't know, had, like, you didn't know what dope sick was cause you never ran out. Um, I, dude, I never it, ran out 18 years. It's fucking on one. And like, I, I know that like when I finally got addicted to heroin, I knew that it did for me like what I couldn't do for myself like it made me feel calm it made me feel comfortable it, it just it made me feel exactly the way I wanted to feel in the beginning 
um, before it became obvious that I just had to keep up with it. Like, when did you realize that it was the thing? Like, you know what I mean? Like that it's, I think after, after like my, well, we found a doctor that was giving us like 125 Norco's, 80 Soma's, 90 Xanax every two weeks. And like, that was really bad. My best friend died in my truck. We went to go fill up the script. He OD'd my truck. My best friend, it was heavy. I had a big intervention after that with like the guys from Pennywise, all the metal militia guys. It was pretty heavy. I walked away from that. I said, I'm going to do this on my own. Um, I started going to meetings. I started to go to an outpatient rehab, but I realized I was just doing that to please everybody else because going into outpatient, I brought a fake, the, like the Wizenator. Yes. Fucking peen- and then I was snoring Roxy's in the AA class and speaking how good I was doing. And it was so fucked up, dude. And I like, I almost, uh, believed my lies. I was like <clears throat> telling everybody I was doing good. It was fucked up. It was weird, but I wasn't ready, dude. And then I started, somebody told me, dude, you can smoke heroin. Fucking it's way better than the pills. When the pills ran out, when they're like everybody, uh, you couldn't get them anymore. And that's, that when my life completely went to shit. When I was starting to sell, I sold my, I traded my X Games medal for heroin. I traded all my fucking shit. And that's when it got bad. That's when I had like a chick of eight years. She left me. I had a house, lost a house, got a condo, got an apartment, started. I lived with some chick in a room and like my whole life went downhill, dude. And that when it got so fucking bad, when I ran out of shit, I lost everything I had. And that's when I started getting dope sick. And that's when I wanted to die. So then I started doing dust off, dude. Don't tell me how I got into it, but I did it once. And I realized if I do enough of that shit, I wasn't dope sick. And then I got so into dust off, like fucking, I remember watching intervention and that chick on dust off. I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? This chick's fucked up, dude. And that was me, dude. Like I, I would pass out in Best Buy pass out and target and it got to the wait, wait hold up hold up hold up hold up yeah you're fucking dope sick and you see intervention where that chick i know exactly what you're talking about I, i'm talking about i saw that intervention a long time ago i'm <laughs> yeah. just saying like i know it lived, they turned into that person no no but i'm saying so when you'd get sick you would you would go get dust off because you couldn't get dope and you could steal it was that the idea Oh no, it was, it was, I could go to save on right up the road and I knew they had dust off because I couldn't get heroin anymore. I couldn't even get it. It was too expensive. I lost everything. So it's like, I needed, my body needed to get high. It wasn't even like, you know what I mean? How long was was the, how long was the dust off run? Four months. And that four months was worse than heroin, worse than any other drug, dude. Like it was so fucking bad. It, got to a point I passed out in my truck I, I signed a big contract for one of my sponsors on the way home I stopped at all these different Best Buy Target anyways I went to Target and the last thing I remember after Target I huffed some shit in my truck and I woke up in the middle of an intersection I sideswiped seven cars and I ran into a semi in an intersection oh my god with my foot still on the gas pedal dude it was heavy it was the worst day but it's crazy the only thing I can think about when they ripped me out of my car is I still have a can of dust off in my car. It's like my, I was so fucked. It like warped me and I went to twin towers jail and, uh, it was fucking crazy. I don't take that lightly, dude. Like the people I could have killed, it was hard for me, but not at the time. But like looking back at it, it's it's a miracle that, that you didn't die and they didn't die. But when you're doing, I never really, I don't think I ever huffed anything properly. Did you put it in a bag? How does it work? No, it's just computer cleaner, and you just suck on the nozzle. Oh, my just, God. <clears throat> yeah, the taste makes me want to throw up, like, thinking about it. But it's just 
I mean, you're talking to posters, you fucking, you're just so looped out, but you're like so high that you're fucking, it feels good, but it wears off quick, you know? So, so you've had a lot of like, uh, starts and stops, right? So after the dust off, when, when, cause I, I mean, a lot of the interviews that I listened to and, and a bunch of the things that I read, you had a bit of time, right? So, so I went to rehab after that and I went to, uh, I went to rehab after that and my whole life started over. I was so scared. I've never been to rehab and it was a week into it. It was a life changing. I like a week. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm waking up and I don't need to be on drugs. I've never done that since I was 15 years old. It's like, and I was age 30 and it was the most amazing thing. I like fully loved every second about being in rehab, dude. Like I remember after 30 days, they let you out because I stayed in sober living too. And, it was the most amazing time of my life, dude. I was riding a pink cloud for years, dude. I never really even did kind of recovery. I was sober for about four and a half years. Um, I, you know, I gave back. I did my, I did a podcast talk in sobriety. I worked for recovery team magazine interviewing like Nikki six, Danny Trey. It was rad. I was like always giving back, spreading the message because I got my whole life back, dude. I came out of rehab with two t-shirts to my name. Fucking, I built my whole life back up, dude. Got a, a chick who's my wife, bought a house, got brand new truck. You know, I just, I fucking just loved it, but I never did recovery, dude. I was only spreading the message why I was so pumped on life. And now I know you're going to hit a wall, you know? Well, it's because it's, it was like, it, it lacked the, uh, you know, 12 step shit or any kind of recovery shit. It, it's like, tons of, of spiritual potential kind of thing when you got out of uh you went to treatment after the twin towers thing and and that's when you you got your first time of, of recovery you're saying yeah yeah um, a week after i got out of twin towers and went to rehab yeah so like what what didn't work in that whole run of recovery I went to a dentist appointment and it was so weird <clears throat> i was doing great i went to a dentist appointment and um I remember I got a tooth pulled and they said, listen, here's Norco's. And in my head, I'm like, dude, this is perfect. I first, you know, I was just thinking that I'm like, if I take him as prescribed, I'm good. But in my head, I was doing it to like, I want to see if I can handle this. And <clears throat> it's so crazy how that happened. Cause I filled him up. I took him as prescribed right when that bottle ran out. I went to an urgent care. I told him I hurt myself. I got more. I kept on going to urgent cares, get more. Then I lined up with an old drug dealer. And then it's like, I'm back, back at the races, dude. Do you think, do you think that when you first got the script, I mean, you go to the dentist and they like give you the, the narco or norco and you're like, you're like, fuck it. I can, uh, I can enjoy this. You know, this is kind of a free pass to enjoy what I like. And then, do you think, then and this, the, the flip is just switched in your head. And then it's just like you forget about everything or, or maybe the consequences hadn't been that bad. What, what do you think it was? Well, it was crazy because I did that and like <clears throat> I went on like a couple year run, dude. And like nobody knew. I, it's sad, but I was still claiming I was sober because I was like everybody looked up to me for being sober. I was helping all these people. And then I got... And I was still, I never, <clears throat> this point I wasn't doing it to like drool on myself. It was like a big secret. I had to go to sleep knowing I'm on stuff and now I'm addicted to it, but everybody thinks I'm sober. I'm getting paid to go to these rehabs to speak at. I work for recovery magazine. I can't tell everybody. There's times I go to sleep crying because I had the biggest weight on my shoulders, but I didn't know how to get out. I was doing everything impossible to try and get off this stuff without anybody knowing. I was still going to work, still making more money. So I'm like, fuck, it's not a problem. 
but if it turned into one. Well, it's also so scary because like you're this inspiration and you turn out to be like this fraud and you knew it and nobody else knew it. And it's like, that's a heavy thing to carry. It's the biggest, it's the heaviest shit ever, dude. And I didn't want to, I just didn't know how to get out. I was still like, I knew how to like get people in the rehab. I knew what to say, but I'm like, dude, I'm so fake. If people only knew, but I didn't know like what to do. I was like, I had no recovery in me, dude. I didn't know. I didn't have a sponsor. wasn't doing the steps. I realized that. So anyways, I took a Xanax one day. I could eat two Xanax bars and fucking be fine. I love those things. Yeah, I too. took a little chunk of it, a little chunk of a Xanny bar, and it was laced with fentanyl, and I passed out of my truck and got another DUI. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. Heavy, bro. Like, you have no fucking idea, but I look at my life, how certain things are supposed to happen, and, like, how it happened was... It was meant to happen, dude. I don't know. Well, it's like, you know, like the guy who I started the show with, we were doing the show and then he relapsed and he wound up dying. But I think he probably went through something like that because he was doing the show acting as though he was in recovery, but using. And um, and I never really thought about it, like until I hear your story, like how what a burden that is because you're really living the double life, especially when it's woven into your actual career. But um, I didn't want to do it. Like I didn't want to be on drugs. I just, I can't, I was like, I can't believe I'm addicted. And I was doing, I was being a chemist doing everything I could to get off it, dude. Like <clears throat> it was hard. I was, it was so depressing, dude. Cause you're getting fed all this stuff, how good you're doing, how strong you are. Like, I want to be like you. And like, I'm right. like, fuck if you guys only knew, you know, like it was all very hard. I'm embarrassed of it, but that's like a thing in my recovery now. I'm not bullshitting no more, dude. I, I'm embarrassed for it. I'm sorry, but it's like, it is what it is, dude. Like, yeah, I, so, I, I don't even think you have to be embarrassed about it. I think it is what it is. I think it you've lived, you've lived so many lives, you know, and it's like, did you miss like in that phase in the sort of like scummy first recovery, public recovery phase, uh, and using, did you, did you miss motocross freestyle scummy like traveling the world metal militia no i mean i was actually still doing stuff like I, after that first time in 2012 i lost my identity who i was and i built it all back up i have a supercross team now i got a successful underwear company clothing company doing odd i'm like back in the mix dude it's like crazy but then after that dui that's when it all came out. People couldn't fucking believe it that I fucking relapsed, you know? And that's when I went to rehab and that's where I met Andy and fucking I went to New Origin. They saved my life, dude. When you when that happened and you're this spokesperson for recovery, like does anybody turn on you? Does anybody like, oh, this dude was a fucking liar? Did that You know happen? what's funny is like I'm so vocal about my recovery and like when that happened I was like crying, tearing up, and I came clean when I got out of jail. I came clean. I told everybody, and I told them like it's just I was so honest. <clears throat> I had a couple thousand comments. I didn't get one bad comment, dude. And I've always in my recovery, I've always been very vocal and honest. And it's in social media, it's not like that a lot. And I don't know, it's it's rad, dude. I didn't really get any bad comments, dude. It was just real shit. What about like from the people who paid you? Like when you're supposed to be this literal spokesperson, and- they they fucking everybody backed me. Nobody cut me because I was open about it, dude. Like I wasn't trying to sugarcoat it, you know. And geez, they knew I was still 
helping people. I was 12 stepping it, but I wasn't doing any work with me. So I was, it was, it was weird, but I, I got good sponsors. I got really good people in my corner, but, um, you know, it is what it is. I went to rehab, dude. I went, went for 30 days and, uh, it was the, it was amazing. Met my best friend, Andy Roy in there. We killed it in there, dude. It was amazing. It was a good time. Well, I think, I think that's the, the, the truth of the matter is, that addicts relapse. You know what I mean? It's like we get we get sober and we do well and we also relapse. And the fact that you were honest was, uh, you know, it, it's 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 amazing for anybody who's struggling to know that you can fuck it up and come back. You know, I mean, like it, people say it all the time, but it's really it's a, like some dude. I went to a meeting this morning, right? And there's an old dude, uh, and he was like, he went to AA when he was, you know, he's probably 65 now, and he was like, I went to AA and I thought I could fail out of AA, and it fucked me up that I found out I could drink and go back. You know, it's like yeah. it's, it's like a great thing that we can do. It is, and I thought my life was going to be good after that, dude. Like, okay, I fucking relapsed. I'm going to rehab. I did great. I went to rehab for 30 days, linked up with Andy Roy in there, did recovery, which I thought I did recovery, but I can't get to this part of the story. I still didn't, and every every one of these things, like I realized, was meant to happen in my life. I did. I got to step four, but what I realized is I was still holding on to a couple things I was going to take to the grave with me. So <clears throat> I was still doing recovery with one foot in. I got out of that 30 day treatment. And this was back in March, not even that long ago. I got out doing great for about two weeks. I don't want to get too into this story, but I've been <clears throat> married for a long time, doing my chick for nine years and something happened. And it, it's along with trust. Anyways, I don't want to get into it, but I was I found something out and I wanted to jump off the bridge, dude. I wanted to kill somebody for real. And I didn't do that, so instead I got heroin again. I gave up. I don't know if heroin saved my life from what I was going to do. So 2 weeks after I got out of rehab, I fucking relapsed again after something very gnarly and I feel a lot of people probably would have done the same thing I did. Anyways, fucking I relapsed again and I doing heroin again it got so fucking bad again and uh i went back to the same rehab i used to talk shit to people like on people like how do you go to rehab how do you have everything how do you get out of rehab and fucking relapse again how did somebody even do that and this is part of my story because it happened to me and it humbled me so bad that i had to walk right back to the same fucking rehab i was at two months before and i'm back that's like the lesson because that's like actual recovery and humility is like the tool to keep it going it when, is when when it when, is. when everything crashed and you were like fuck this you know what i mean was dope the first thought it was a, well what happened i like i said i don't want to get no, into don't worry it about yes that. it was the only thing that i thought would have saved me from doing something bad and I just said, I'm going to do this for a couple of days. And um, it just got into, I was doing every day again, you know? It was fucked. And I was just gave up on my life, dude. It felt like my whole life's going to just sell my house, fucking everything. It was just, I gave up. So, I don't know. The funniest thing about that to me also is that it's like we think when things are really bad, 
like I'll do dope and it will solve the problem. But like I, I there's a woman in the dopey nation, right? And and she she kicked uh, Adderall and benzos, right? And she's mm-hmm. struggling. You know what I mean? Like she she's counting days very publicly and this and that. And and the other day she posted that she wound up doing benzos. You know what I mean? And uh, mm-hmm. and she did the benzos and she was honest about it. But then when she 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 got some sleep, she's like an insomniac, and she got some sleep. And when she woke up, she was like. I'm still miserable and it's like when we're miserable and we think that we could do dope and it's going to like be a solution and then you come down from the dope and you still have the same fucking problem same fucking problems dude it, it helped for that instant where I thought I was going to jump off a bridge it did help it was great it just got <laughs> worse dude and then I went back to rehab and it's like that this rehab everything let everything that led up to this led me to this time and this is a time where I some magical fucking shit happened, dude. I was only going to go for 30 days and I tried to do everything in my power not to go back. Try to do it all. I couldn't do it. I could not stop doing heroin, dude. I went back. I was only going to stay for 30 days and then about 30 days in, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay for 90 days. <clears throat> Month and a half in, I really started to dive in with my steps and I got a good sponsor and, um, you know, I was always scared in my process groups. Like, you know, I fucking, I have a podcast. I told all my darkest secrets, dude. And I was always scared about doing the steps that I'm not going to get the magic what I hear from people getting. Like, I just, I was second guessing it, dude. I let go of everything on that step four, dude. I, the two things I was going to take to the grave with me, I let it all go, dude. And if I fucking felt so fucking good, dude, like what I hear people, like when they get something out of step four, I like, I felt that dude. I mean, doing my step five with my sponsor when I, when I told him and it's like those two things I held on so tight. He's like, dude, you know what? That's not even that bad. And then the next day in process group, I'm like, fuck it. I told the whole group what my darkest secrets were, dude. I told my counselors and like, it made me feel so good. I didn't have any more baggage on me, you know? And then six and seven, dude, um, really figuring out what I am. And like, I realized that was a big one that I realized drugs weren't really the problem, dude. I'm not as tough as I thought <clears throat> getting fed all this fake shit. How the tattoos, the dirt bikes are so rad. Like you get fed all this ego, <clears throat> how cool I am, how tough I am. And I realize I'm not that tough, dude. I have issues. I'm scared about being by myself. I'm scared. I'm scared. Like just a lot of things. And like, they really put shed light on that and like to work on them. <clears throat> it was amazing, dude. It's like some spiritual shit. It started praying. <clears throat> I've always tried to like pray and see the sign. I'm friends with like a lot of really religious guys. I've always prayed, but I think praying for the wrong things. And I, I feel like after step seven and when I let go of everything, one night I just prayed, dude. And the next day I got filled with so much fucking joy and so much shit. And I realized I saw my life so clear that, you know what? I'm going to come home. I'm going to get a divorce. I'm going to sell my fucking house. And before that, I was working on everything, my marriage, everything. Because I was, I was so scared about being by myself. I just wanted it. Even though things were kind of fucked, I was going to make it work. And after that day, when I prayed, dude, I woke up and I saw shit so clear. I'm like, I'm doing this for myself, dude. I'm going to face all my fucking fears head on. I'm going to sell my brand new house, my first purchase house, dude. My goal my whole life. I'm selling it. I'll fucking throw it all away to fucking really do what I got to do for myself this time. And I've never done that in my life. And so far, I've been filled with so much fucking joy and happiness. And on paper, I've been to rehab twice. I got a fourth fucking DUI. I might go to jail next month. Wait, why would um, you go? To, why would you go to jail for the last DUI? 
my DUI and it was my DUI was a year and a half ago, but with COVID they pushed the court date so far. I mean, I'm probably not going to go to jail, but I hope I do go to jail for a little bit, dude. I think it's going to make me feel fucking like what I did wasn't cool. You know, I could have killed somebody. I think it'll be good for me to realize how fucking lucky I am. I, bottom line is, I'm not worried about it, dude. Just don't, I'm not don't, about, don't volunteer to go. <laughs> let them, of let course, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to volunteer to go, but I'm just saying I'm going in looking at the worst, best, the worst case scenario. And if I do, it's not a big deal. I would only go for like sixty days. It's not even a big deal, you and, know. And whatever happens, but it, it happens. And you know, and last time we spoke, you were like. You weren't in this spot. You were like, I'm going to work on the marriage. I'm going to do this. You know, and I, know. I, and I guess you were clinging to, to fear or to like what you thought you were supposed to do. And you sound, you sound like incredible. Crazy. Well, no, it's not crazy. It's easy to be scared. And it's easy to cling to what you think you're supposed to cling to. You know, I mean, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of it. I think freedom is the best thing. And I think like being committed to, to being free is the best thing. You know what I mean? I, I think, and, and I think you coming on the show and telling like the story, you know what I mean? Like the story's crazy yeah. because you, but for me, that's my biggest fear. Like everything I'm doing is like, I would never do this. And I'm telling you it all happened from like that one day when I prayed and like actually letting go and doing the fucking recovery with two feet in for once, dude. Like seeing the fucking magic. I'm on step nine. I made like all these amends. I just been hammered. I'm just facing my fears head on and doing shit. I'm like scared. And like, I just, what I'm saying is like on paper, my life is kind of fucked right now, but I've never been so fucking happy and so strong in my recovery. I feel so fucking good. And I'm just like, all this shit I know one day is going to make me so strong doing this. And this is just part of my story, dude. Like everything led, everything going to rehab the first time. Okay. I know how to stay sober. I love it. Second time. I, I'm going to do it with one foot in this time. So like everything led me to this dude. And like, I just see my life so clear It's all stepping stones, dude. It was a fucked up one, but like, you know, I just, I'm just doing recovery full force, dude. And, uh, I don't know I just how don't wanna I want to go back to that shit. And I got to do shit for me this time and not everybody else. Definitely. But how could you possibly think your life looks worse on paper? Now you sell the house, you're free. You're actually in recovery. You know, it's not a sham. You have all the contacts, scumbag clothing, fucking yeah. friendships and, and like industry. And obviously you're doing it with a clear head. It's just ironic to me that all the other times, that you weren't exactly doing it and you felt like it looked better on paper than you do now when you're actually doing it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you have, it's the, crazy. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, the, I think the sky's the limit, you know? And I think, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed and, uh, and I think your story is great and I think that you tell it because you know that it's going to help somebody. Like you've been in that situation where you're supposed to be helping people and you weren't telling the whole story and now you are. Do you, do you ever get worried that you're not telling the story now? Like some kind of like built in, like, holy shit, am I still bullshitting kind of thing? You know what? I'm not really after this time because I let all that go, dude. I really did. I realized I'm not probably that cool. I told everybody I was bullshitting, made my amends to everybody. I let go of all these secrets I was going to hold on to the rest of my life. Like I'm a fucking open book now. And I've, that's why I have all this joy. I have nothing no baggage dude i'm like just telling it how it is take it or fucking leave it dude i was fucked up i i'm just doing what i gotta do and what i'm saying like my life looks bad on paper but really i know all this shit's gonna be so glorious down the road when i get another house when i fucking 
do you know i just got to build my life I, I still have everything i got a fucking house i'm gonna sell them make money i got like brandy truck i got a business i i have everything it's just kind of complicated right now but i'm so full of joy and i know everything's gonna be okay man i just like my thing is is i'm good at like having fun with andy riding traveling i'm good at like just living a sober life I just, ha- I know this time I have to put fucking work into my recovery every fucking day because that's what I was bad at, getting complacent. I'm journaling every night. I love meditating, dude. I meditate every fucking morning, dude. Love it. I've been, I'm almost done with my step nine. Talk to my sponsor every day. I just have to do that. If I can do that, dude, I'm not going to fucking relapse, dude. I'm going to fucking, I have to do that every day. And that's what I learned through everything else. I have to put re- recovery first every fucking day, no matter what it is. Yeah. Constant, constant vigilance. Um, yes. When when you did it last time, right, and you were like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna unearth this fucked up thing, this fucked up secret," and then you finally did. Did the secret have much less power? Like, were you like kind of like tripping? Like, why did you hold on to it, or was it still like this crazy thing? It wasn't even that crazy. After I talked to my sponsor, he's like, oh, yeah, I did the same thing. And I'm like, fuck, dude. I've been holding on this for so long, dude. Like, it's just crazy. It just it feels good, dude. Just let go and, like, just everything. You know, telling people I was bullshitting them about me being sober, that was a big one that weighed on me, dude. You know, now I let it out, and that feels fucking good, dude. Now it, like, shows I'm not as strong as you guys think and i'm okay with it i'm still trying you know so i just a lot of things dude i just let it all go i got no baggage i'm not holding on to anything it and, feels fucking good well i'm happy to hear that and you thank you you're welcome and i'm happy you came through um i have more questions though you, you yeah you know uh, your dad was like a fucking uh it was a military guy right yeah, first Marine, Vietnam vet. And uh, and I'm sure he was so excited when you were this kind of famous athlete. And uh, was it like, I mean, I bet you like partying didn't look that scary to your dad. Or did it? Like, did the tattoos freak him out? Or was he celebrating no, with my, you? My dad's like my best friend. He was so supportive. Like, metal militia. He got his first metal militia tattoo. He's awesome. He's like the coolest dad ever. He was so supportive all the way through. Even every time, like, I'd go to rehab. So supportive. He's like, I feel so bad the things I've done to my dad. Like, just put him through all the stress and everything. But he knows I have, like, such a big heart. And I'm a really good kid. I just go down that wrong road and he's always oh, i got the most supportive family dude like it's it's sad it's so rad i know how thankful i am and how blessed i am because i couldn't imagine doing this without having a huge support system dude and i got i'm so lucky i think that's me giving back and always like even when i was fucked up like i'd give my shirt off to somebody and i think i don't know it's just i have such a rad support system dude and it makes it so easy and i realize how lucky i am a lot of people don't have that you know and it's it's hard. Dude. Well, yeah, they I, have I to. Just, I'm they, very lucky. Right, they have to acquire one, which is possible. Yeah, and you know, I it, that'd be that'd make it a lot tougher, dude. You know, I know how lucky I am. Was he fucking? Was he shocked when he found out that you were addicted? Uh, yeah, he was, but he saw throughout the years getting hurt, the lifestyle. You know, I think they kind of figured it. I mean, I think maybe the last time what happened, they're kind of tripping, but they got it too with what I went through. But you know, they got over. They see how good I'm doing, dude. They know when I'm sober, I love it more than anything, and like I'm just so gung ho, positive, motivated. So 
they see it, dude. They know how it's like I'm a fucking drug addict, dude. And, you know, I don't know. They get it now. They didn't really understand it before, but they totally understand it now. So very supportive. And, and Andy, like Andy's a great, you know, dopey nation person. And just like, he's one of my favorite people to have on the show because he's so like, uh, he's just so raw and so honest and so like out there. And like, he mentioned to me that like, he's interested in like motivational speaking and stuff and like kind of, and I think that has to do with him putting his recovery first. Like you're talking about like, like what, what's the plan for you? Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, what, what's your plan? How long are you going to stay in the treatment and what are you going to do afterwards? I'm already out of treatment. All right, even better. And what's the plan? Yeah, I'm out of treatment, dude. I got my own business. My dad got stage four cancer like oh, five man. years ago, and he had he has a business for like 40 years servicing fire extinguishers. Like every company needs your fire extinguisher serviced every year. <clears throat> I took that over, and I've had that, and uh, it's a great business. I don't have a boss, and I took that over. I built it up super big. Um, I got a super cross team doing everything i ride mountain bikes every day i run i mean i just i do everything dude i just love being sober that's why andy and me are such a good fit dude. i mean I, that guy is my best friend that guy has helped me out so much in my recovery you see what you see on camera when he's all loud and fucking crazy like i've had some of the most intimate emotional conversations with him talking about the heaviest shit dude like he's He's got the biggest heart I've ever met out of anybody. And I don't think a lot of people see that, dude. And he is doing recovery so fucking good. He's a he's like a house manager there. He helps out so many motherfuckers there, dude. It's just it's so cool to see how good Andy's doing from where he came and like we're like a band of brothers, dude. I help him, he helps he helps me and uh he's just he's the best friend I got, dude. He's uh he's an amazing guy, man. No, his we heart, help each other out a his lot. His heart is like you know, it's obvious to me, like that's, I mean, it's, it's so appealing because he talks out of his heart. You know what I mean? Like, he does. um, and, and, but you don't think you're going to get back into any kind of recovery business. Like you're not going to do that again. You don't think I'm um, dude, I would love to, man. I mean, love to, <clears throat> I'm still going to do my podcast. You know, I'm, I'm sponsored by a rehab company because like a lot, all my fans are like all recovery, like in recovery people. So I'm still carrying the message, dude. <clears throat> I can't wait to get to step 12 where I can sponsor people. And when I, that's when I'm going to start my podcast up, when I actually did the steps, dude. And I feel like it's just going to make me, it's like, it's like uh, before I just went to war without going to boot camp and I fucking got shot down quick. Now I feel like I went to fucking boot camp right, and right. I'm going to be a fucking Navy SEAL and I'm going to have fucking the tools to fucking actually know what I'm talking about, dude. You know, so I'm love anything in recovery. It's just, it's an interesting, it's a beautiful thing. Anything in recovery, how somebody can be so fucked up, so gnarly. And if you put recovery in, you turn into this person that you would never think you are. I've seen people like homeless and now they're fucking millionaires. You know, it's just, it's an amazing thing, dude. It, it's interesting how no, I know I, I, it is. I never expected for me to have come this far in recovery. Like when we started dopey, I was four months clean and I would say that it will never be a recovery show. It was only going to be about, you know, drugs, addiction and dumb shit, war stories. Like that's what I wanted it to be. And I never, I mean, but I think like the idea of recovery being boot camp, it's just like, it's corny and a cliche, but the one day at a time, one inch at a time, you change over time. You know, it's, it's yeah. fucking time. Um, what was I going to say? Um, 
I forgot. Oh, yeah, I want to hear some fucking... Speaking of dopey, I want to hear some fucked up stories because what the fuck are we doing? I want to... What's the worst thing that ever happened to you when you were using? Oh, my God, it's so hard. <laughs> you can't even tell me. Uh, Jesus Christ, dude. I mean, after X Games, I came home and I fucking woke up in my truck on the side of the road off the off-ramp and... Both brand new F-150, I'd always had sick trucks, ripped off both my mirrors, hood was crushed in a little bit, my steering wheel was upside down, but I was steering straight, and I woke up, I, I rolled my truck, and I fucking landed, it was like four in the morning, and all I did, I started the car, and I just drove home like nothing happened, dude. It was fucking so fucked up, yeah. dude. That was one, I mean, I got, I got him for days, that one I told on Dopey, that was like one of the darkest... That was a pretty dark one, dude. Like, I was into heroin. I snuck in heroin in my jeans, cut the cut one of the seams, hit a gram of heroin. I had to go do Evil Knievel days where I had to do this, like, 230-foot jump. So I got to the airport. I smoked, like, all the heroin in the day. It was supposed to last me for four days. I did it all in one day, and it totally fucked me. I was so dope sick. So my buddy's like, hey, I got crystal meth, and I'm not even into that. But I'm like, fuck it. I did that. I had to do a parade the next day for all the kids because I was like the main guy there. There's like thousands of people, you know, and I knew how to be there at seven in the morning. I got so blacked out drunk that night. I went to jail. So I went to jail. The promoter picked me up the next morning. I missed the parade and I had to do this 230 foot jump that afternoon. So he picked me up from the jail. I was still sweating. This point I was kind of dope sick. I had to get on a bike I've never ridden before. Fucking, I did the jump, which was so fucking big, dude. Like, people had no idea what I just went through. I just got out of jail, fucking, I was weeded, and I landed, and my bike locked up. It seized up. So if that would have happened going off the lip, I would have been dead. And I fucking did it. I got paid, and I went home. And it's like, I didn't even process any of that, but, like, all the shit, it was just Somali cruise shit, dude, you know? Yeah. Well, How fucking heavy it was, dude. I, I mean, I don't know the DUIs of fucking getting arrested. I got arrested in Germany. I went to jail for a couple nights there. I just, I was drunk riding my bike. Cops tried to stop me. I flipped them off. I have American tattooed on my knuckles. Going up to them, I'm fucking American. I don't speak your language. And then they just threw me down, arrested me. And I was during a deconstruction tour. Then I was on warp tour for four years where we had our own tour bus and every single not every single day I'm jumping in front of 20,000 people partying with no effects Pennywise I mean the cool my favorite band we did that for four years and I can't even tell you all the fucking stories every night was like the gnarliest day ever and it was two months in a different state every fucking day I mean how much of, how much of the warp tour amazing. scene was uh was using like how much was their communal drug use on the warp tour scene every fucking day the dirt bike guys the, the motocross guys we were the partiers dude everybody knew to come to our bus just you know we had a four foot bong we had a fucking doing coke every day pills it was just rock and roll we lived it up we thought we were fucking full-blown rock stars having our tour tour bus riding because we were the show like we would jump over the fucking stage during Pennywise and no effect. So we, we were, it was hardcore, you know? So right when you get done, you pick out any chick you want. Let's go to the tour bus, rage all night. You go to sleep, you wake up, you're in a different venue and you do it all over again for two and a half months. And we did that for four years. Yeah, it was amazing. In 1999 or 2000, I went to Warp Tour 
on Randall's Island in, in Manhattan, you know, and uh, and I was wasted on heroin, and I I was interviewing uh, Long Beach Dub All Stars and Noah Fax, yes, and dude. Uh, I, and I was so fucking high interviewing Noah Fax, like I can barely remember it, and it was it was just such a bad scene for me, you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm I, and like I think Bradley had just died from Sublime, and I'm like like those dudes were so everybody was all fucked up. It was crazy. It was just such a crazy disconnected scene. Randall's Island was. So- so much fucking fun every year we did that. I love Randall's Island. But dude, Scummy, not a lot of people know this. Long Beach Dub All-Stars, those were our fucking boys on Warp Story. But their roadie, the guy that set their stage up, his name was Scummy. He's the original fucking Scummy. And then my buddy, my dirt bike buddy on Warp Tour, he's like, this guy was a character. Like he was like the Tasmanian devil. Couldn't even talk, just fucked up. He, he started calling me scummy from him So he's the original scummy from Long Beach Dub All-Stars I think he's dead now, but it's funny Yeah, and that was that guy, the Twitch guy? Twitch is my best friend He's, uh, he's got Tourette's um, he's, he's killing it He like started partying He was like a party guy But then he's the kind of dude When the backflip came about He started doing good The guy's a millionaire now, dude You know, he's still my best friend He's killing it So, yeah and when and, and I see all these videos on Instagram with, with you guys still, you know, riding dirt bikes and jumping and like do you get how old are you? Do you get scared? Is it scary? I'd get fucking so I'm thirty eight and like I did one of the biggest jumps while I was in rehab like a month ago because I realized in rehab I'm like, fuck dude, I'm gonna start doing shit. I don't wanna die knowing like I only did this big shit because I was loaded. So I'm like, I'm gonna go do it's like 220 foot jump big as fuck but last time i did i was loaded so they my people from rehab took me here i'm like dude i want to do this on the weekends you're allowed to do whatever and they took me to this jump and i jumped it we filmed it for a movie and uh so i did that sober and i went skydiving before but i was on xanax so me and andy we went skydiving I'm just doing all these things sober now and I fucking feel way better at it. But no, I'm I'm still good. I still ride all the time. I got a riding class this weekend, but uh yeah, I'm still doing it, dude. I'm trying to do everything I can before I get old, live it to the fullest and I uh, just do positive shit, man. And there's no and there's no triggery stuff like if you're doing some huge jump. If you're basically in the same world doing the same thing but you're sober, is there ever like somebody showing up with something or you seeing something and being like, "Oh, shit, I used to get high in this situation. No, I'm still the guy. Like, I'll chop up your coke, dude. I love still going to bars. I know, like, maybe you shouldn't. I love that stuff. No, I love being sober, dude. Like, I love it. It's like, I can be around anything. It doesn't phase me. Like, you, even my story, this, I went, I broke, I dislocated my foot while I was in rehab doing this jump. My whole foot was off my fucking leg. I passed out in the ambulance. I've never been in so much pain in my fucking life, and I've broken a lot of bones. But in rehab, I did not take one pain pill through that whole thing. And that was meant to happen, dude, because I realized I could get through fucking injuries without taking pain pills. And I never knew that. Usually when I break a bone, it was like green light. All right, time to eat pain pills. That showed me that that was a life lesson, dude. It was meant to happen because it showed me I can fucking do it without pain pills. It was rad. Well, it seems seems like there's a million life lessons in your story right yeah it's it's just one thing to the next and really what it is and this is going to be fucked up to say it's the fact that you got to live through it that you got to learn from it you know what i mean like because like uh, there's a million moments that you could have been dead and you weren't 
So exactly. And it's like, what do you do from it? Do you pick yourself up and learn from it or do you just keep on going? You know, and I feel like I'm taking all these and really learning from it and seeing my life very clear how like all these, I just feel certain things are meant to happen, dude. I don't know. It's just crazy. And I just, I know I'm a good person. I know I want to give back. And I just think if you're a good person doing the next good thing, good things really do land on your lap, dude. And you might go through war and you might not see it, but some of my darkest times ended up being the best times of my life. I just didn't see it at the time. And I know right now what I'm going through, like I'm staying at my buddy's house. I got a fucking huge house up the road. I'm staying in a little room. I feel like I'm 18 at my dad's house. I know this is going to turn into something big. I know this is like one of those things that it's going to be good one day and I'm fucking good with it. Yeah. It's like your cocoon. It's your gestation period. Fucking getting your shit together. You know what pisses me off though? It's like, I kill myself to make this stupid podcast. Right. And fucking when you're doing your podcast, Nikki six and Danny Trejo are lining up. Nikki six ignores everything I've ever written him. And Danny Trejo's people like just flat out say no to me. What's your secret scummy? What am I doing wrong? Dude, I've known Nikki for a little bit, but Danny Trejo, my spot, Danny Trejo is my grand sponsor. Like I go to meetings with him and stuff. He's my sponsor is Danny Trejo's sponsor. And I filmed a movie with Danny. Which bro? So, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. Friends with him, I guess. Dude, you got to be the coolest guy. You got to put in the good word about dopey. Dan. I will, dude. I will hundred percent. I'll tell my sponsor for sure. I'll hit you up in like a couple weeks, dude. Cause I know he's out filming or something, but I'll definitely line Danny up. That's for sure. Just put in the good word and scummy. I cannot thank you enough for being, cause like you, you fucking, I, I had you as the first guy in dopey con too, because you were so fresh. You know what I'm saying? Like it was yeah. just like your energy was, so i don't know joyful but it wasn't meant to be dude when we were going to do this podcast like a month ago we were about to do it then we just ended up doing that was meant to be because i wasn't even fucking ready my story would have been different and it wouldn't have been what it is now because i didn't even see who i was at that time dude you know so it's crazy how things happen for the fucking right reasons dude it's scary sometimes no 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 and i appreciate that and um yeah and dude i just you know thank you for coming through Thank you for doing it. I have a lot of respect for you, dude. What you're doing and, like, who you became, it's amazing, bro. Like, the people you were helping, I'm just, I'm passionate about this. And it's just, it's, I have so much respect for you and the show. And uh, I was honored to do it, man. And just, if you need anything, I'll definitely put a word in with Danny. And um, we'll stay in touch, dude. No, please stay in touch. And if, obviously, if you need anything from me, the same thing goes. And I appreciate it, man. I will, dude. Thank you very much, Dave. Right on, Scum. Awesome. Thank right. you. Hold on. See wait. you, buddy. So that was the great... Colin Scummy Morrison of the Metal Militia, uh, trying to uh, you know I thought I thought he was amazing because he was so honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he really. I don't understand how you can be impaired in any way and do that kind of sport like skateboarding, motocross, or surfing, like those crazy sports. You got to be like they're so technically like challenging. I think it just requires like crazy aptitude. He said he would get stoned. And do that shit, but he would never do, like, serious drugs. And you heard all about his fucking uh, dust-off shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever huffed anything? <laughs> well, you know what I did? I Then I wanted to try dust-off, and I looked to see if you could buy dust-off here. Like, that was my response to that. You wanted to Maybe see if I you could... I shouldn't if, be on this show. You shouldn't listen to Dopey. You're like, you have a list, a Christmas shopping list. Kratom, Dust Off, fucking, yeah. you know, uh, what was the, what was the yeah. morning glory I wanna, seeds? 
Yeah, I don't want to do heroin or whatever, but I want to do Kratom and Dust Off. Did you have any interest in Dust Off seriously when you listened to that? I totally wanted to do Dust Off. Did you ever see the Intervention episode he was talking about? No. Oh, my God. It is crazy. You can go on YouTube and watch the YouTube Dust Off, um, the Intervention Dust Off episode. I, I did have a moment with Intervention when there was a, a lady who was drinking vodka in the exact same way that I drank it. And I watched that and I'm like, oh, my God, that's me. I, I had a similar experience. I've been watching Linda loves intervention and I I used to love intervention when I would get high you know I would love watching intervention and I would laugh at intervention and watching intervention now it's like it's a crazy experience for me it's a crazy I, experience I wanted an intervention I was like I it was my fantasy for to people do an intervention on me That's cuz you love attention. And, you just want people to come and say we love you like crazy and we we want you to we we think you're important and you just want the attention. Every time like we had a group of friends say let's all have a picnic in the park. I would always be like this is going to be my intervention. <laughs> Finally they they care. They're going to show me some love. No, it I, never was. It's like every time it's your birthday when you walk into a room, you know there's going to be a surprise party on the other side of the door. It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to watch to watch intervention years out of using, and I've been just watching these heroin addict ones. Like the dude is snorting like fucking four foot lines of methadone, and then shooting up, and then like the, it's like. It's, you can snort methadone. I mean, I guess we're, I think he's in Canada and they're giving him no. methadone pills and, and like they're giving him take home pills and he's snort literally like three foot lines of methadone powder. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? But also just it like I have the I just have this crazy suburban life. Like it's so far away from the life I had. The fact that I actually was like that. It, it like it's crazy to see blood go into a syringe like just it's all so crazy to live these compartmentalized life lives even with dopey you know what i mean like even with dopey dopey seems like a real show it doesn't feel like being dope sick and and like copping or or shooting dope or any of the stuff that we hear i feel so separated from that in, until i see it you know what i mean yeah I, I haven't seen that show since I got sober years you know ago, but I remember watching it. But you know, there was something on Dopey Nation where like somebody's in rehab for pot smoking and they hear like a crazy junkie talking about shooting between the toes. It's like that's like so far out to a lot of people. Well, I think there's. A, I remember when I the last time I went to real treatment was when I met Chris, and I remember there was a kid in that treatment who was he was like eighteen. And his parents put him in there because he was smoking too much weed. And I'm, I know that it didn't happen to that kid, but I know that it happens to people. They wind up in treatment because of weed and they wind up like you listen to dopey interviews and you want to fucking huff dust <laughs> off. And these people go to treatment and they want to they want to know what heroin feels like. And, and like it, it's like it's a fine line to, to know what helps or what hurts anybody. Yeah, um, the, you know, I was thinking too. Like your parents, are, parents are like so concerned about who you're hanging out with. But in my case, that was like the people I was hanging out with are the people that introduced me to heroin. So it is like you don't want your kid to hang out with bad kids. 
It's or funny. Kids using drugs. The weirdest thing for me is that I became the worst one of all my friends. You know, and and like I was the one that parents shouldn't have. You know, my parents were worried about this and that, and all my friends were like, except Todd. All my friends were totally straight, and like, you know, like totally like not fucking up. And then I became this total train wreck. I was the one. You know, and yeah. I was also the one. You that, were the good kid. But I, no, no, no. I was the good. I was. I was the bad kid. That's how good kids my friends were. I was the bad one, and, oh, and okay. I was also the one. All of my friends tried heroin just because of me. You know, it's just like Jeremy didn't get addicted. Uh, Jim and Greg were just like were not interested. Robbie wasn't interested. Dave obviously never tried it, and. Um, and I was just in love with it, you know, because I, because I was, you know, I was an addict, you know, and they weren't. And, and that's, that's the thing. Um, and intervention is just like, it's mind blowing. And I, I really find it interesting also that even with all the drug stories that we hear and that we kind of like, that I basically, I'm like a collector of drug stories now. I'm like out in the world collecting drug stories, like an entomologist collects insects or something. And still it's not like watching intervention. And like, and I'm watching intervention and I'm still rooting for them to get high because like you want them to get well and everything, but during the show, you want to see them take gigantic (laughs) shots and stuff. You know, I saw a movie recently where there's a heroin addict and they stick the needle in and then just press it down, you know, and I'm like, no, you have to suck the blood out first. You have to draw. Well, in intervention, they, 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 they show the whole thing. Um, my life has changed from, and also like before this month, I, I my work had kind of gotten a little bit like less intense and I had a lot more time for Dopey, which is why we started doing the Patreon show and why we started doing the bonus episodes and why the shows were kind of a little bit better produced because I had more time. And this month, which was ironically the month of DopeyCon 2, I became a customer service representative for Katz's Deli and my whole world changed. And I've been taking these fucking phone calls all day, every day. I ordered matzo ball soup and it came and it was cold. Okay. No, it's hello. I want to place an order. Okay. When do, what do you want to get? My name is Nancy. And I'm like, no, no, no. What? When do you want your order? I, I start with that because I want to shut them down first. I say, and, and I say, they have Brooklyn accents from 1970. Most of them, yeah. I say, I say, when do you want to get your order? And they say, I'd really like to get it on the Tuesday before Christmas. And I say, well, I'm sorry, lady, it's too late. You can't get it then. The only day I have is the 30th. She goes. Really? And I go, that's right, lady. We're booked up. We got nothing left. And then it was like, next. And then the next lady calls because she was like, oh, I guess, I guess I'll try next year. And then the next lady calls, right? And she's like, she's like, um, oh, my, she's complaining that something was wrong with her order and that when she comes to New York, right? You're not going to believe this story. When she yeah. comes to New York, her and her husband go to Chinatown and then they go to Katz's. And then I started thinking about Katz's and thinking about New York. And I was like, you know, I was like, Katz's really is an incredible place because when you walk in there, it feels like a- another century. You're stepping, it's history, yeah. You're stepping into the past. And she says to me, is this Dave? 
And I said, <laughs> I said, what do you, I said, huh? Yes. <laughs> I was hoping I had waited on her and, and yeah. no, she was a dopey fan and her son oh and her son is in prison right her son is in prison and he can't get it together she listens to the show and um and she, and when i started like talking poetically about cats as she was like is this, she listens to the show she asked about you that's amazing she said that urine is not dangerous to to drink if if you need to drink it it's okay she said that pew beating was totally acceptable <laughs> and um but yeah i mean isn't that incredible I saw today, I saw Gigi Allen's last show at the gas station at like B and 3rd, and it Katz's has a cameo because the, the show gets shut down, they're walking around, and they're in front of Katz's, and then he dies. But, dude, how amazing is that, that a fucking customer service call rec- – dude, nobody recognizes me anywhere ever. Ever on the street wearing a dopey hat, they don't recognize you. Never, ever, ever, and that isn't That's that an crazy amazing story. I didn't see that coming. And then the next guy calls in and he goes, "Hello," and I said, "Hello," and I thought it was like you. I thought it was like somebody pranking me because I told you I was going to call. He goes, "He goes, I want to place an order for." Shipping, and it sounds it's, Dave Mascalani. It, no, Dave Dave Mascalani doesn't sound like that. He sounded like fucking Lord Voldemort. He was like, <laughs> he was like, I need to get the birthday box, and I want an extra pound of pastrami. And I'm like terrified. I'm like, because this guy's fucking scary. He was fucking scary. But then I felt bad because there's obviously something wrong with the guy. So then yeah. I, I was like. The whole time I was sure it was going to be somebody in the dopey nation who was like punking me or whatever. Yeah. But it turned out it was some like very sick man in Arizona. Um, oh. But uh, but still, he had a very scary voice. He had a very Voldemortish voice. I uh, wish I had not eaten that paper towel that I just ate. So you could see because you were eating one. I ate it. Now I have the weirdest taste in my mouth. I, I can't get it out. Oh God, that's another thing. First of all, I don't eat paper towels. I chew on them when I'm deep in thought. Did you eat it? Does it make your mouth like super dry afterwards? Now my mouth is so dry. Dude, the paper towel you ate was that you were chewing on was one of those brown ones that's in the New York City public high school bathrooms. It's not like and no, this is like an unbleached. Like these are not all natural. It looks like what they had in my high school bathroom. I strictly enjoy chewing on Bounty, and that's another thing. This woman called up today, and like when I'm taking the the customer service shit, I can't stop chewing the the, the paper towel. And she goes, she said, "Is there a cow in there?" Because she could, <laughs> she could hear me chewing, uh, which was very 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 embarrassing, very embarrassing. Um, I'm going to start praying to give up this, this fucking habit. I'm, I'm going to start praying for it because it's getting out of control. Why don't you chew gum? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't have the same kind of texture that I'm looking for in an in a, in a oral fixation. Um, now, we got a voicemail from a new, one of Ray's new super crushes. His name is Igor. He celebrated a year clean at the beginning of the month, and he danced in the Good So Bad Spectacular at the end of DopeyCon 2, which Ray has not stopped talking about. He's so hot. He said, I like the way Igor dances awkwardly. He's so cute. Um, So here we go. Here's Igor. 
Hey Dave, Dopey Nation, and this is Igor. I'm recording this on December 3rd, and I have a year clean today. So I thought I'd share a story from uh, the end of my use when it got real bad. Uh, so this is from October of 2019. I was working in downtown Chicago in this big corporate building. I'd been up for two or three days. Uh, so I was at work, and I went into uh, this public one-person bathroom in the lobby of the building to do a shot of Coke. Uh, so I do the shot, and it hits me real hard. It's big, and I'm like, I cannot go back to work like this. I need to shoot some dope to uh, balance out. So I get the shot of dope ready, and I'm trying to hit, and I just can't hit, and it's taking a long time. Uh, and I hear somebody trying to open the door to the bathroom. So I'm like, oh, it's occupied. Uh, you know, I'll be out in a minute. And panicking and trying to get the shot off, and I still can't hit, and I can't hit. And this person keeps trying to get in, and I'm saying, like, there's another bathroom. I'll be out in a minute. Um, and I hear a second voice outside, and I believe it to be a security guard, and I hear him talking about, like, he's been in there for too long, and they're trying the door, and uh, then I hear uh, what I believe to be the sound of a third person, and I'm like, this is a cop. I hear, like, a police walkie-talkie. And, like, I finally get the shot off, uh, and but I'm, like, sure that there's cops waiting for me outside now. Um, and there, you know, I, I see the door, uh, you know, somebody trying to open it, and I think I hear, like, a key jingling in there. So I'm, like, holding the door handle shut, uh, and I'm, like, fuck, there's cops out there. I need to get rid of all my drugs. Um, so I'm trying to flush this, like, almost an eight ball of Coke, Um but the toilet's all the way on the other side of the bathroom, and I can't reach it. And I'm afraid to just toss it in there with the bag because I'm afraid it'll get clogged. It'll clog the toilet. Uh, so I'm trying to, like, toss, dump the powder and getting it all over the toilet seat. So I get rid of that. I get rid of my last few bags of dope. Uh, and I'm trying to, I'm, like, hiding all these rigs in, like, the paper towel holder and anywhere else that I can find in this bathroom. Uh, and I'm like, well, shit, I've been in there for so long. I'm going to have to answer a question about why I've been in there for so long. So I come up with this brilliant plan. Like, I'm going to say that I accidentally pissed on the bottom of my shirt and I had to wash it in the sink. So I take off my shirt, throw it in the sink, and soak it in water. Um, and uh, I put on a spare shirt that I always keep in the backpack because I'm always sweating horribly at work because I'm always super fucked up. Uh, uh, but before this, I look in the mirror and I'm just like red, sweating. My eyes look insane. I'm shirtless. And I'm like, all right, I got to come out and face the music, fully expecting there to be like a whole, you know, SWAT team outside. And I open the door and there's nobody there. And I'm like, oh, shit, they must have got, you know, gone to go back, go get backup. And I got to go now. So I like walk out of the building, not making eye contact with anybody. I circle around the block a few times, uh, like stopping at each garbage can to throw like a couple rigs in there. Because for some reason, that seems like a better idea than throwing everything all in a one can. Um, and I sneak into the back door of my work and I go into this back room and I still have like a scale and like a spoon and like some other stuff um, 
And so, like, I hide it in all these various places in this closet, and then I open my laptop, and I sit there, like, pretending like I'm, like, working and really concentrated on my work, and I still think that security is looking for me, and I think that I hear, like, security in the lobby of our work asking about me, um, but nobody comes back. The workday ends, and I leave. And I'm, I call an Uber, but I'm still paranoid, so I'm, like, ducking in and out of, like, a 7-Eleven and these stores, uh, being all shady. And I call my friend uh, to tell her what happened, and she listens to my story, and she's like, dude, none of that happened. Like, there was, there were no cops, nobody was trying to get in there. Like, this is cocaine psychosis, you know, you need to go to sleep like we and we had tickets to go see bob dylan in a few hours she's like go home take a nap and meet me at the show and i it was like that scene in fear and loathing in las vegas where raul duke gets pulled over by the cop and he's like well i can't sleep now i've been up for too long and that's what i felt like so i go home i don't take a nap i go see my dealer get another eight ball and i'm like i'm gonna do a shot of coke and then go to this show and I'm all fucked up. I'm trying to get the shot ready, and I have the bag of Coke open in my hand, and I nod out. And when I, I come to, I jolt awake, and I see an empty bag in my hand. And I'm like, where the fuck did this Coke go? So I'm looking around, and I look on the ground, and I see my dog's brown dog bed, and it's covered in white powder. Uh, so my friend's calling me like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to make it. Uh, just come over. I got to get the dog bed coke out. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, just come over after the show. So she comes over after the show, and I'm still, like, scooping this coke out of my dog's bed. And she helps me scoop it out. We shoot it, and she's, like, kind of disappointed. She's like, man, I thought you had all this blow we were going to shoot. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. Like, I got money. Let's go. I'll go get another eight ball. And she's like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, how much coke have you lost today? I think it's a sign you need to go to sleep and, you know, call it a night. And uh, I listened to her because, you know, sometimes when a fellow junkie, uh, while being offered more free drugs, is uh, saying, no, you should go to sleep and not go get more drugs, uh, then it's probably time to listen. Uh, So that's the end of the story. Uh, hope you enjoy that. Uh, stay strong. Fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Igor. That's a great story. And, uh, and thank you also for your amazing, uh, music and your, uh, your very cute dancing for Ray's enjoyment. (laughs) Right. I, I think there might've been a knock at the door and the rest was imagined. Well, I, I mean, you never know with stories like that. Things things are, are so random in those situations, right? Right. I mean, I had crystal meth psychosis to not quite to that degree, but I heard voice. You know, I thought people were looking under my door and looking in my skylight, but I heard voices inside my head, and I was trying to explain it to a friend. I'm like, it's not voices in my head. They're like literally in the middle of my head. I was like, I wasn't hearing them. They were inside of my head. Well, that's serious crystal meth psychosis. That's like bugs under your skin, whatever. Yeah. Voices. It's funny because for like for the good so bad thing, right? Um, ben Crawford put that good so bad thing together, and and so many musicians in the Dopey Nation contributed, and and uh, it was, you know, it was amazing. One of the most beautiful things that I've ever gotten to be a part of was just that good so bad. But in the middle of it. 
I, I think it was because of one of the tracks that I had recorded. You could hear Linda say, Dave, okay? So whenever I listen to The Good So Bad, at two minutes and eight seconds, I could hear Linda say, Dave, and I would be up in the attic working on something, and I'd be totally paranoid that Linda was there. Then <laughs> it was like I a fucking hear that. No, nobody could hear it except me because it's like my crystal meth delusion that I hear voices, but it's Linda's voice, and it's actually <laughs> in the song. It's like it, there's a couple of them, and I'm like fucking Pavlov's dog to her saying Dave. It's like it's, wait, it's not real. It is real, but it's so quiet that only I. I could hear it and I hear it every time and every time I'm like I feel like I'm being watched like I'm gonna get in trouble like it's a whole thing it's like it's I'm gonna listen when we hang up yeah I'll find the spot um anyway the other person who was a big big piece of that good so bad was our old friend John Takeith and John has this new business that I I really promised I would mention. John has been around me since I was in college. You know, him and I have been collaborators since we were 20 or something. And he has a website uh, and a business called We Have the Web at wehavetheweb.com. And they make websites for people. And I want the Dopey Nation to know that they could check out a full-service, full-stack web and application development company at wehavetheweb.com, which is John Takeoff's company. I got to check that out. What, you need a website? No, I'm just going to see what Takeoff is up to. There you go. You know, Takeoff and Brad are going to start a little side project band. What is it? I don't know. Takeoff and Brad. Oh. I don't know. They're, they're, they're yeah. going to start collaborating on something now. DopeyCon, too, really planted a lot of seeds of, uh, of collabor- collaborative thinking out there. I was really shocked at the, at the good so bad that been put together because I didn't think that was possible. Again, I had the vision. I had the vision, and I said, Dave, that is never going to work. Don't, don't waste your energy trying to make that happen. And I said, I'm going to waste Ben's energy, and he's going to figure it out. And he did, because he's a genius. I, it was very professional. It was not amateur. Well, I mean, there's this thing, and I think I told you about it. There's a, a YouTube channel called Playing for Change, where they yeah. take a song, and they have musicians all over the world playing it. And like... I love this fucking thing, playing for change. And um, I told Cormac about it because Cormac had done all the engineering of, of DopeyCon. And I knew he could do it, but Cormac lacked the connection to the Dopey Nation because Cormac is only connected to the people on Reddit. And there aren't enough oh, yeah. musicians on Reddit um, to do it. Although there was one musician on Reddit who did a killer good so bad, and he's angry at me because I talked shit about him when I played the fucking his version of good so bad. But that's a whole other story. Who is it? Oh, for, never mind. It doesn't matter. He's he's a he's a Reddit guy. He did that super twangy jammy good so bad with his band, kind of like. Oh some, yeah. And I love that version, but I talked shit about him because he had talked shit about me in the Dopey Nation, and now he's mad. Anyway, I joined Reddit because of Dopey Reddit because I thought you had to join. But it's cool now. I get uh, I get um, emails every time somebody posts. It's very cool. Listen, Reddit is not the stronghold it used to be, and I suggest that Dopey Nation members in Facebook and Twitter go support your brethren over in Reddit. And everybody should go fucking join up on Instagram because I, I supposedly if I have ten thousand, if if Dopey has ten thousand followers, we can do something special, and I'd like to do something special. 
I get so excited when I have a notification on Twitter because I don't use Twitter. I'm like, ooh, what's this? But it, it's always a dopey person like going back into my Twitter and liking something. Why don't you use Twitter? Is it because you're afraid your husband will see all the shenanigans you're up to? No, I don't like the way Twitter works. I don't like I don't like email and I don't like Twitter. You don't like Instagram either. No, I, I like the things that flow naturally. Like you see a response and then you see a response. Twitter is very confusing to me. You're a Facebook guy. Facebook has this responses stacked on top of each other. I'm saying you like it. Um, now I'm going to read this very very short email I got. You ready? Yeah. This guy said, hey, Dave, I really enjoyed the DopeyCon 2 video. I watched it last weekend. You used the word voyeur to refer to non-addicts, which I do not like. Anyone who is devoted enough to Dopey to give you money and listen religiously uh, associates deeply with the podcast. Now, I felt very badly when I got this email. So I want to apologize to any non-addicts who I accused of being voyeurs. What did you think about that? Do you think that was offensive? I, you know, I, when you said that, I didn't think anything of it. And then when I read that uh, email, I thought he's totally right. It's like call, calling somebody a poser. No, it is not. It's saying well, well, it's like saying you're not really in the group. You're just viewing it from outside because you're not a drug addict. I was trying to be provocative and funny. You know, the, the fact of the matter is that anybody who's not an addict that is religiously attached to Dopey, I think it's because Dopey is fun and inclusive and easy to listen to, and everybody is welcome in Dopey. But I bet you there are some addicts and alcoholics and normal people that are just voyeurs and want to, like... There's a lot of people that are fans of Dopey that don't have any drug addictions and, and don't have, like, drug addictions in their family. Some people do have, like, family members who are drug addicted, but some people are just like it. But wouldn't you say some of them are voyeurs, at least some of them? No. Why not? Because you're scared. You're scared. You're just nation. Oh, God. You're just, you know, it's like this is why you fit so well with the show is because you're very Chris-like. You're scared to say anything. You're scared to say anything that's going to offend anybody, right? Wait, if I go to see a concert at Madison Square Garden, am I a voyeur? No, but if you go to a... uh, a, I don't know. The idea, it's not like a concert. It's not like a concert. It's like stories of drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I know, I, I've gotten emails from people who say they are voyeurs. So I know if that's I true. If I read Keith Richards' autobiography, am I a voyeur? Maybe. Or, but you're also, it's different to read an autobiography than to listen to a podcast. And the fact that people have, have said that they were voyeurs aren't those are, is that okay with you ray if the people who have said they're voyeurs are oh, they, yeah. they're they're okay to be called voyeurs yeah of course and just because someone's a voyeur doesn't diminish their status in the dopey nation for me and i'm sorry first of all and i i am so happy that you guys want to be in the dopey nation and that's even a thing so voyeurs junkies crackheads i don't care sex addicts you're all welcome as pubic hair eaters People who wash your clothes in your clothes, you're all welcome into our little little community, right? I did my laundry in the bathtub yesterday. Were you wearing the clothes or no? No. I put it all in the bathtub and I stomped on it and then I hung it on the radiator. All right, Ray, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm we're gonna be done. 
We're going to be yeah, done just, now. Did you have a good time? Yeah, what time? It's 10.20. Oh, my God. It's way past my bedtime. Yeah, I'm going to be up for another fucking hour putting this shit together. Um, I just looked up where Sam lives. I couldn't believe it's so beautiful and it's so weird. It's right next to the desert, but it's a beautiful not desert. Yes. I'm, I'm going to, I want to get my dad's reaction before he goes to bed to our 5 million downloads. Wait, Alan is still awake? Probably. He's, he stays up at the screen staring at fantasy basketball, basketball statistics. <laughs> He's obsessed with it. Um, but thank you, Ray. As always, you are a ray of sunshine in our voyeuristic kingdom. Bye. Stay strong, dopey nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. All right, now I'm going to call my dad to get his reaction to the 5 million downloads. But the phone isn't ringing. Fuck. Hello? I don't know why the phone didn't ring, but oh well. Um, well, you're calling on my cell phone now. But it still should ring on my phone. It should ring, but it doesn't matter. Um, so here, you're on the show, Dad. Uh, we hit the 5 million download uh, mark weeks before you predicted, which kind of is part of my theory of your lessening capacity. But what do you think? Time out, time out. You, well, you didn't tell me when I made my initial prediction that you were going to put on all these extra episodes and you were putting on all these, all the, uh, the DopeyCon 2 and the extra Patreon episodes and, and, and I wasn't aware of the surge that came because of it. Well, listen, Dad. First of all, I told you all of that stuff. Secondly, like you told me, the Patreon episodes have no impact on the download. And DopeyCon 2 was just a normal episode. So your theory is incorrect. No, you put in an extra episode also. There was Remember? one There was one bonus episode, but I told you about that when we were talking about making predictions. All right. So I, I Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before you say another word, did I or did I not tell you about the bonus episode and that it was going to fuck up your prediction? Yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. And no, still, that's true. That's you true. I didn't put it into the calculations. Somebody actually picked today as a date. Somebody uh, wrote in and said, the what's today's the 18th? It was me. No, there was. Oh, you're not going to give yourself the prize. Who was it? Who was it? <laughs> no, I thought it was somebody else said the 18th. I know. Yeah, you said today. Yeah. I said it to you, but I did not say it publicly. So in the Dopey Nation, if you pick today, you are eligible to receive a prize. So write us at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Um, what was I going to say, Dad? Uh, weren't you amazed at how beautiful DopeyCon 2 was? Oh, yeah. No, I really was. But I was embarrassed that I kept walking around in the background because I didn't know what you two characters were doing. I didn't know that that there was time that I was supposed to walk and not supposed to walk. Well, I, I, have to, I, have to, uh, I told you the first and the second time when you walked by what we were doing. So you really sh- I mean, this is a, all part of my theory. When I tell you what we're doing, you can't really say that you didn't know what we were doing. Well, wait a minute. When you were broadcasting DopeyCon 2 in, in the dining room, I really didn't realize what was happening until finally you yelled at me and said, with taping, I mean, with whatever the correct term No, you, term is. I think, I honestly so, yeah, think. After, I, the, after a while, I got the message, yes. No, in all honesty, I don't think you realized that we were recording it until you watched it. <laughs> That's 
well, that's not true. Anyway, it really was good though, and, and it looked like the, on on uh, it looked like on YouTube that over two thousand people actually saw it on YouTube. You know, like the premiere, which the premiere was also the ending in the final program. Uh, but was is that true? Over two thousand people saw it. Yeah, over two thousand people saw it in about twenty, in about maybe forty hours or something. And maybe yeah. it wasn't strategic to take it down, but I was trying to drive traffic to Patreon. But there will be a lot of new things this coming year in Dopey. So, oh really? Are you going to give any? Are you going to say what they are? Or well, I need this to is a big, big surprise. I need to figure out what they are. But there's a good no, chance. Oh yet. <laughs> there's big things coming. There's there's a good chance that there's a lot more video components coming and maybe like some more YouTube stuff and maybe there's going to be a dedicated phone line where we take phone calls and who knows? Who knows what's coming? Yeah, it was interesting because during the uh, the YouTube showing that chat room actually was interactive you know, where people were writing, you know, uh, as it was happening. So that was that was interesting. That was that was that was nice. Lots of Allen fans, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think I was around too much. Yeah, I, some think, people, I think I, 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 I overdid my uh, my performance there. I don't think I I should have been in there so much. However, I didn't know I was in there so much, except when I saw me walking in the background. <laughs> A lot of people love that. A couple people thought there was too much of you, but more people thought that it was just the right amount of you. And I thought you were really, really good in DopeyCon, oh, too. Nice. All right, good. I'm glad. That's very nice that you say something like that. That's kind of unusual. Really good. All right, I'm happy. No, I thought you. I thought you were very. So, how funny. was tonight's? Uh, not that I. So I'm supposed to know what tonight's show is because I really don't know. So, uh, but I'll hear it tomorrow. I'll I'll go listen and uh, and and hear what you have. What was on today's show? Anything else about the uh, the incredible thing that is five million downloads? Um, you know, yeah. even though we're on a path, you know, to get more than five million downloads and whatever, it still is like. Uh, it's pretty crazy, you know what I mean? I never even though I work my, you know, I work really really hard to make the show, I still don't expect to get that many people listening to it. So I'm very No, yeah. no I I'm try, I was I'm trying to figure out, you know, in terms of 5 million times, that's it really is it really is amazing. I mean, there are like 7,000 core core listeners or I, I don't even know the, how how it gets divided up. There's like but, I think there's 13 thousand four hundred core listeners wow yeah yeah which means you got a huge amount of opportunity out there for more i mean it seems it seems that there could be a heck of a lot more listeners out there yeah and if you want to translate that into like being your son that means it's not good enough right it means it means that's fine but it's not really it's not it's not really that good that's that's interesting actually what what was saying oh by the way I don't know if the Dolby Nation cares about this, but the, the, the Knicks scored over 100 points at the end of the third period today. Uh, they were on fire today in terms of Did they beat Detroit? Shots. Did they win? I mean, incredible. Is it over? Of scoring today. It was preseason against a, the Cavalier team that was terrible, but it sure felt good that they, they actually were making shots. Uh, you know, Kevin Knox did like six three-point shots. Well, he Which could have like, he could have a breakout year. How was Emmanuel quickly tonight? He was terrific, really terrific. He is he is uh, looks like he's going to try to get the starting starting point guard job. We'll see what happens. He really looked good. 
He really did. He reminds I was, me. I was impressed, except it really was the second and third string from Cleveland. So who knows? He reminds me of a Rod Strickland type. Like he's going to be like somebody who fights for that point guard spot and, and, and probably is better than the starter. I, I could see that happening. Well, I think I think I think you're right. But that was the point that uh, that you were bringing up, and that we I think in that interview you had the last interview on Patreon that the more effort you put into something, the more you try. I think the the guy who was working with Dr. Drew, uh, Mike Catherwood, yes, Mike Catherwood, yes, you know that that you put in enough effort, if you put in enough effort and you keep trying and trying, all of a sudden things happen, you know, uh, that you, you didn't think would be possible. Five million downloads, you know, heck, that's, that's, that, that's good. And it, you know, it's a beginning. I mean, it's better than a beginning. It's, it's, it's very successful now, but you're right. There's, there's more, there's more opportunity. Well, I think it's, that's really also the point with recovery that if you constantly work at it, you you keep it and you build it and it grows and it gets better and it's like i think that's the greatest lesson of of recovery is putting pieces together and and making your life better and it's true with making a podcast and it's true with a, a basketball team hitting shots and it's true with getting well and um mm-hmm. and i think you need to put some more things together because i i worry about you what what, what do you have going on you you're playing uh, stupid uh, fantasy basketball and uh and walking around yeah. the house with a mask well, i had a few problems today i I get in the elevator and I'm heading downstairs. The elevator stopped at the 10th floor and I discover, because somebody is getting on wearing a mask, I discover I, I forgot my mask. Uh. I get out of the elevator and I walk all the way up from the 10th floor. I walked on the staircase up to the 21st floor. And boy, I was I was really exhausted. I mean, That could really kill you, away. Dad. That, that kind of a thing could kill you. Wait, that, not only that, then I went for this long walk in Central Park, and then I slipped on the ice and I fell, and uh, <laughs> but somehow I fell very gracefully and got up gracefully, and I'm fine. No injuries, no nothing. You need to be but, careful uh, because one strategic fall, and we're talking about it's done. You break a hip, and what are we going to do with you? Where are we going to put you? You're going to live in the garage. I'm listen. I'm fine. I I I was told I fell very gracefully. Who told I, you I, that? Well, I was I was I was walking I was walking with my with my friend Kathleen, and uh, and by the way, at, and I walked 12 miles today. I mean, that shows you what shape I'm in. Hey, just please so, be careful, okay? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. All yeah. right. Well, all right. Anyway, so uh, I think what and by the way, you know, you know that death of Colleen was very heartbreaking. I mean, for her to put in the thing, you know, for DopeyCon two, and and then. You know, not even not being there and dying. Um, anyway, it, it it scares me. It really scares me a lot about uh, how how easy it is nowadays. That if anybody makes a mistake, they they don't know what they're taking. I mean, it's deadly stuff. That's uh, it's just awesome. Well, it's also just the fact that we're we're people, and people can die really easily. They can die falling down the steps. They can die because they take too much of a drug. They can die from COVID. You know, it, life is fragile. They can they can die from anything, and that that's I know. Yeah, but Davey, listen. Remember all those years ago. Uh, 
how you didn't see that death. And then all of a sudden, only in the last five, six years, it's gotten completely out of control because of this fentanyl stuff. Is that, I mean, that's gotta be part of the problem, right? Well, I would imagine it is, but we didn't, we don't have any information about what happened to Colleen. Uh, her family is saying it's natural causes. Um, you know, I don't know what happened to her. Yeah. You know, he you don't. You certainly looked. don't know I mean, what happened. All I'm to saying her. is, she put. She did the video to, to, for the show, and the, and uh, and and then she's not there anymore. So it it was certainly very sudden. It didn't look like any, you know, long term sickness or anything. It didn't. It looked like she was healthy on that video. Right, but I mean, I I, I listen. I don't think that you're wrong. I think yeah. that you're you're making a great point. I think that. The fentanyl has been, you know, accelerating death in this community, and people need to be careful. Yeah, I agree. That's that's the point I'm making. Yeah, but it's, it's fucked up. It's really it's really beyond careful. It's like if you if you're using in in a world that's ripe and 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 loaded with fentanyl, the 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 chances of dying are pretty great. Is really the thing. Exactly. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying it's it's. It's 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 worse than Russian left roulette with it's like one bullet in the gun. There's like five bullets in the gun. I don't think you know, you, you don't you don't really know how many bullets are in the gun, but the the, the chances are you know obviously increased at this point. Um, yeah. And we'll leave you guys on the very positive note. So if you're yeah. if you're using, I'm, just, I'm I'm saying be careful. That's that, that's the wisdom that I'm trying to imply. And yes, my dad might be near senility. And almost breaking his hip and forgetting his mask. Sophie Nation again. I'm good. I'm okay. But he's but he's very he, he's right, and everybody should be careful. And um, and we'll leave it at that. All right. Okay. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Good, so bad, so bad.
Yeah.